you know, I'm going to have to make a version of that virtual legality intro that doesn't just fade into the normal virtual legality video on demand because we're doing more of these virtual legality lives. And why? Because if I say that I'm intending to take any kind of period of time off from talking about video games or headlines or anything else that I've got going on, well, that is a great day for our friends at the video game companies or anywhere else in the news to say, let's get our news out. But unlike modern masthead media, we could still get on if we have to. And as we allow people to trickle in here, kind of get ready for what I gave them, seven minutes uh, to, uh, to know that we're doing a live stream here today, I want to say something because I obviously put a fairly provocative thumbnail title out there and picture out there. Uh, and that's because I've read the conclusion of this particular statement from Sony. But I have not read the substance of what we're looking at from Sony. So one of my friends here on YouTube, Emily D. Baker, uh, does a really smart thing when she's got a generally a litigation document that she's going to look at uh, for the first time. She tells folks, hey, it's going to be a first look. I have not pre-gamed this at all, except for, you know, ice water. I have not looked at anything except the conclusion that Sony draws, which, in my opinion, advances their kind of political position substantially from what looked to be at least a relatively reasonable ask, even though I thought it was wrongheaded as I went through all the documents in that seven-hour video that you can check out as part of the Microsoft Times Activision playlist, and this will get added to that playlist as well, ultimately, if it's not already. Uh, but they have now stated that the Activision deal cannot be allowed. Uh, and that, we can assume, is their ongoing position. We can assume that for a number of reasons, one of which is if you've been in virtual legality with us for a little while now, this last week we talked about a New York Times article that said Xbox had offered them a 10-year deal for Call of Duty and Sony refused to respond, which can most generously be read as Sony's not going to accept that. And that's because Sony thinks there's a real tangible possibility of blocking this deal. Now, I think that is patently absurd. Let's just get the tilts out there uh, at the at the forefront, right? I've talked to you about this now for what will be 46 videos. I've talked through antitrust cases in Apple and Epic and Epic and Google and here with respect to Microsoft and Activision and the FTC and Facebook and within and more and more and more and more and more. And this particular deal is not one that raises alarm bells for me. Now, some of you are going to be in the chat. Some of you are going to be in the comments saying, oh, he's just an Xbox. He just hates Sony. I will tell you this as well. This was weekend Wednesday. Going into the American holiday of Thanksgiving, I had intended to not stream or make videos for five days, which, by the way, is crazy to YouTube. YouTube's like, why would you even do that? that, that we're just going to suppress all your stuff when you come back. I didn't care. Wanted to have five days vacation, but I'm happy to have this conversation with you all. But while I was having weekend Wednesday, while I was having that vacation time, do you know what I was playing? I was playing God of War Ragnarok on my PlayStation 5. I am a Sony fan. I had a Sony 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. I remember asking my parents to get me a PlayStation back in 1995. I've never not liked the product they put out there. But what I very much do dislike is trying to use the levers of government and regulatory power to maintain your position in a market. We're talking here today about what is monopolistic behavior, what is illegal, what is unfair to a competitor to try to maintain your power or to gain it. And in my opinion, what Sony is doing is far more nefarious and far more challenging than what Microsoft is doing by purchasing an independent publisher like Activision. Now, you can differ on that, but I can assure you it does not come from a place where I hate Sony, their products, or their services. 
This is just what a company is doing in this context that I cannot abide looking at as many antitrust rules, laws, regulations, and cases as I have in the past. And we're going to talk about that because on a real politic level, I don't necessarily blame a corporation for seeing a weakness at the regulatory body, seeing a possibility and going for it, but I can from a moral level. And we'll talk about that as well. Jeremy G with a super chat already. Again, we're just kind of waiting uh, to make sure people get a chance here for a couple of minutes to get into this space. What time is it? Game time. Best of time of the day. Hoga clock. Hey, I'm glad to be here with you folks. Wasn't planning on coming on live, but we're going to talk about the Sony statement. Now, I did see in chat. I did see people send it to me. I got, this is what happens, right? So I'm playing God of War Ragnarok. I'm getting towards the end. I've said for now six sessions or so. And I check my Twitter, right? Which I do occasionally. We've, we're, 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 we're working through it. I'm, I'm playing it with my uh, daughter and, and she went to the bathroom or whatever. It was a, it was a break time. Uh, and it's, uh, it shows whatever it shows. Uh, 20 direct messages, 20 plus of the kind of uh, tag-ins, whatever it is, the bell. Uh, and I say, uh-oh, <laughs> what's going on? Now, two different documents were sent to me. One is about 17 pages of Sony response, which I think is the far more important. We're going to talk about that today. The second was an 111-page response, I believe, from Microsoft. Now, folks, I love you. I'm here with you on stream. We're going to talk about these things together. I'm not going to cover the 111-page Microsoft response. Right now, my working assumption is that they are going to reiterate what they have already said before, which is that historically, we don't have control of the gaming market that the subscription services market is not distinct from the buy-in game market, that you can obviously survive without Call of Duty. Look at Nintendo, look at other places online, PC, Steam didn't always have Call of Duty. There are various places that can show that you can make a viable effort at video gamedom without the Call of Duty franchise on your service. Obviously, I think Microsoft has by far the right of that. No one, if we're really being honest, thinks that Sony would dissolve and just walk away from video gaming if this deal were to go through and Microsoft says the next day, we're taking Call of Duty. Nobody believes that Sony's just gonna up and die. So this is all angels on the head of a pin, all specious argumentation, all the way down. And if you got a functional truth serum and you just put it into Jim Ryan, you would hear him say the same thing. No one really believes the PlayStation would just be gonzo without Call of Duty. And that's what leads to this kind of feeling that I certainly have. And that isn't to say that there aren't antitrust actions that can make sense. You can see really good arguments for things like Armin and Nvidia. You can see good arguments for the, the Simon & Schuster combination, right? You can see good arguments. These are not them. And that's why so many of us that have any experience looking at any economic combinations are looking at this and going, what? What? This is crazy, right? And we'll see whether the FTC gives any kind of credence to this. The FTC in the United States generally keeps quiet on these things. We saw them continuing to keep quiet when pressed for answers by the New York Times. We saw that earlier this week. But the CMA, by God, the United Kingdom is a talker, right? And I'm not talking about jibber-jabber about England versus the U.S. in the World Cup on Friday. I'm talking about regulatory environments. So we've got CMA that likes to publish everything they get, including four pages of redactions, which we'll also mention when we get there. But, okay, we've given enough time. Hopefully everybody has gotten ready, gotten your drinks ready. I'm going to need mine because I'm going to be talking a little bit because 17 pages might not be 111, but it's a lot to go through. And we're going to try to go through all of it. 
with our commentary, with our comments. If you want to flag me, hit at Hoglaw. I tend to see those a little bit better. If you want to super chat, that's great. You don't have to do that. It's not pay to play. It's not pay to win here on the Hoglaw YouTube channel, but I certainly appreciate it either way. We got people called the Beer Baron in the chat. What's up, Hoglaw? Man, these are truly incoherent takes from Sony and the CMA. Well, CMA didn't make a take as far as I know on this, uh, but we will talk about it all. So let's pull up the documents. Now, I promise you we'd only be looking at the Sony response, but we do actually have to get our legs under us. So when the CMA put out its phase one decision and it had its examples and its explanations and we went through them all, because that's what we do here on this channel, they also put together what they call an issue statement or a statement of issues, depending on how you want to put your prepositional phrases. And this is where they say, this is why it's going to phase two. They talk about who Microsoft is. They talk about who Sony is. They talk about the merger. We know all of this at this point, or if you don't, go check out earlier in the playlist, right? But but what we've got here is their arguments for what there could be a problem. Now, they call these theories of harm. You'll see that as TOH. You'll also see SLC, right? They say the term theory of harm describes the possible ways in which an SLC could arise. That SLC is a substantial lessening of competition. When you see SLC, you can just think in your head, very bad thing, very bad thing, right? CMA says, we have certain theories that there could be a very bad thing on the horizon. And those relate to the following. One, input foreclosure of rival console gaming platforms. We will keep Call of Duty, which the CMA is describing in a very novel and interesting definition for economic markets, as an input that Call of Duty is something required for a PlayStation to PlayStation. Uh, that Xbox could prevent Call of Duty from going onto the PlayStation. And while, as I've said a number of times in the past, that doesn't itself mean anything bad, right? We have all sorts of exclusivity. God knows Sony knows about that as we talk about this. Uh, well, they have to go further, right? They say, well, they might keep Call of Duty. They have stronger incentives than they are saying. And I agree with them. I agree with the CMA on that. Microsoft continues to say we have no incentive whatsoever. That's not true. You can drive people to Game Pass. You can drive people to the Xbox ecosystem by holding Call of Duty. The question is whether the math works. The impact of any foreclosure strategy on Sony says the CMA may be particularly strong at the launch of the next generation of consoles. And the CMA found, therefore, they didn't quite find this. The CMA found that this was a possibility. So even the CMA is using harsher language than they probably should in this sentence. That a material impact on Sony's ability to compete would have a detrimental impact on overall competition in the market and ultimately harm consumers through higher prices, reduced quality, or reduced innovation in games and gaming consoles. That the act of Xbox buying Call of Duty and keeping it off of PlayStation will reduce competition in the overall market. So we're starting strong and understand that what the Sony response is likely to be to all of this. And again, this is a first look. I haven't gone through this yet. We're going to be going through it together with your commentary and having fun with our drinks out, having a good time talking about these various things, is that Sony is going to agree to all of this. Sony's going to say, you got it right, CMA? Hey, you took our answers and you put them on your answer sheet. And you know what? Those answers are right. They're right. Now, what does the CMA say they found about Game Pass? Game Pass holds a strong position. Game Pass lacks a rival right now. And that multi-game subscription services are a nascent market. And that Call of Duty being only on Game Pass could potentially... Give them the win and reduce competition in this separate market for subscription services. Now, as I've said in this space a lot, subscription services does not make a different market for video games, in my opinion. And the rule of thumb, 
We're not going to go into a 600-page antitrust economics book for you. But the rule of thumb here is that you establish a market by where the substitutes are, right? If you can't get a game on Game Pass, can you buy that game? If you can buy that game, probably that's a good substitute. Probably the market is access to distributed video games, not the business model through which they are delivered to you. And yet, the CMA needs Game Pass to be its own market because if they make Game Pass its own market, Microsoft is the clear market leader in multi-game subscription services right now. Now, they had first mover advantage. They went first. They spent money on it. And Sony has only now deigned to join the multi-game subscription service fight, which they didn't want to enter into at all this summer. But the CMA has to ignore those countervailing considerations to bring the legalese in. Because if they take those into account, there's every reason to believe that Sony can compete in that space. Honestly, if Sony drops God of War Ragnarok in their PlayStation Plus service, it's going to do all right. But they don't want to. Now, why don't they want to? Because Sony wants to make more money. But that's not what the CMA is supposed to be protecting. It's not supposed to be protecting Sony making more money. It's supposed to be protecting you and I getting access to video games or more specifically goods and services. Uh, and yet the CMA continues down this road. Foreclosure of cloud gaming service providers through leveraging of Microsoft's ecosystem. Microsoft has Azure. Microsoft has Windows. They can use the Call of Duty franchise, the Activision IP to make those things work. And they can do it and hurt competition in all of those markets, especially cloud gaming. Now, we'll also consider countervailing factors. Uh, we'll consider if there's anything else that might mitigate some of this substantial listing of competition, like maybe we got our theory wrong completely. And then you have responses to the issue statements coming in by Friday, 28th, 2022. And I think that's actually what we're going to be reading today. That's the lay of the land, right? That's the lay of the land. And we're going to start at the end, which is always an excellent place to start. And then we're going to go back to the beginning and we're going to go through all 50 paragraphs of this thing because, hey, that's how we like to have fun, right, folks? Especially here in virtual legality. The last sentence that Sony puts forth, and this is what made me do this video. The only way, the only way, no other way is CMA to preserve robust competition and protect consumers and independent developers. Oh, very magnanimous of you, Sony, is to ensure that Activision remains independently owned and controlled. Gee whiz, Sony. You're not just asking for Call of Duty anymore. You're saying you have no choice but to bust up the deal. No concession. There's a good voice crack there. No concession from Sony, from, from Microsoft, will be acceptable to Sony. If you think about this as some kind of sports ball match, they have now pressed as hard as they possibly can. This is not the language Sony used in Brazil. This is not even the language Sony quite used with respect to Britain the first time. We can now anticipate that this is Sony's current stance, that the deal must not be allowed and to allow it will kill competition in video gaming. I'll leave you with that for a second here as we grab a super chat that came in. I want to make sure I don't miss any because you guys are nice enough to support me. I want to make sure I support you as well. Dark Saya says, thanks for your hard work. Love the profile pic, Dark Saya. Well, thank you for joining us here. I'm going to try to not be just ridiculously snarky about this uh, because I find this to be an affront to everything that I know about antitrust law, economics, and law, period. So this is an issue for me. We're going to try to work through it together. But understand this. Literally was playing God of War Ragnarok. Just purchased a bunch of Sony games. Honest to God, I did. Going to go back to playing God of War. 
if not today, over this vacation period, such as it is. So this is not me sitting here saying I hate Sony products. This is this is me sitting here saying this is a bad argument and we should recognize it as such. Lucius Augustus, it's very clear Sony rejected the 10-year deal. Oh, if, if they had accepted it, they would have commented on it to the New York Times. There was no question. Once they decline a comment, they're saying, absolutely no. Uh, we're not going to do this. We're going to go for the gold, right? And honestly, when you do that, when you, when, you, when you play this game, when you gamble with people's livelihoods and $70 billion and everything else, honestly, God, I hope you lose. I hope you get karmic retribution. I hope the regulators come in and say, actually, you're acting kind of ridiculous, Sony. I guess we can give you three years, which of course is what Phil and Satya offered to begin with. Uh, and uh, you'll have to be good with that. I recommend figuring out how you can make a game that's comparable to Call of Duty or signing a deal with Electronic Arts or whatever within that three-year period. Oh, you can do that? Yeah, it's a dynamic and robust gaming environment. Mm, weird, weird. Huffy Bear, which seems like a good name for how I feel right now as we begin our journey through this document, has become a YouTube member. Thank you, folks. If you do want to become a YouTube member, there is a button for that. We only have the one class of YouTube member. It does allow you to get through the slowdowns, I think. It gives you emojis, gives you fun stuff. We've got some fun pictures there. I'm going to need more. By the time this deal is done, more, definitely. All right, folks. Well, we've set things up. Let's go, well, let's do one thing before we go back to the beginning. So there's five more pages of this for where Sony backs its particular argument. This is what it looks like to the public. We'll get back to that. So. Internal Sony secrets that they're delivering to the CMA. Now, those are, of course, completely slanted towards whatever Sony wants the CMA to believe. The one thing that survives is a public poll that says 46% of PlayStation gamers indicated the inclusion of Activision titles in Game Pass would make them consider subscribing to the Xbox subscription service. Of course it would. These are very popular games. This is how these companies compete with each other. Why wouldn't they consider joining Xbox? And how is that... How is that a reduction in competition? Xbox, remember, not the market leader in the console space. Sony, the market leader in the console space. Ordinarily, you would have antitrust regulators coming out and say, oh my God, the underdog is putting their money where their mouth is. This is great. We're going to break up some of that market power in this particular industry. That leads to lower prices. That leads to higher quality. This is a good thing. Ordinarily. Ordinarily. Instead, Sony, the market leader for eons, in these various markets is saying, oh no, that would be bad. Wouldn't it be bad if we lost market share? Everybody would be hurt if Sony lost market share. Yeah, yeah. And we're just supposed to say, yeah, okay. Makes sense. Pajama Shark. I'm loving these profile names, folks. I appreciate what you do, Ho. Glad to support a fellow Michigan native. Go Michigan. I live in Allen Park. Keep it up. Fellow Michigander. Appreciate it, Pajama Shark. I appreciate it. <laughs> Jennifer asking the real questions. Anyone else, a non-gamer who doesn't understand any of anything what's being said here, but just here for Spicy Hogue? Appreciate it, Jennifer. Appreciate it. We all find each other in different walks, in different ways. And yes, if you're just here for me being feisty, you're going to get me feisty today. That is what is going to happen. So without further ado, Microsoft slash Activision Blizzard, Sony Interactive Entertainment Observations on the CMA statement. We have some observations, CMA. We have some thoughts. Would you join us in the salon for our observations? Let's talk. All right. Uh, this is Cleary Gottlieb, by the way, from Sony. Major multinational corporate law firm, big time. Uh, and Microsoft has their own big time lawyers as well. So 
anybody that wants to evaluate these things, these aren't crazy. These are well vetted. This document alone costs thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars for Sony to put together. It's going to be tens of thousands. I take, I take thousands back. You're not getting Cleary Gottlieb for, for thousands on this. Uh, so at least tens of thousands of dollars putting this document together. Let's see what Sony says. Let's work through it together. And I'll try to keep my, one eye on the chat. I know folks have said I get a little bit of tunnel vision when I get into these subjects. That's what keeps it going. Uh, so in any given paragraph or any given thought, I probably will have that quote unquote tunnel vision. But but I will try to keep an eye on the chat. So if you do have questions, flag them. Capital question, Hoglaw, super chat. I will try to keep my eyes on everything. Paragraph one, the journey begins. Sony Interactive Entertainment, will be calling SIE, welcomes the opportunity to, to comment on the CMA's issues statement. That's what we looked at first, folks. Of October 14th, 2022, concerning the Microsoft Activision Blizzard transaction. Then we get an executive summary. So if you haven't read anything uh, like these documents before. This is going to be, hey, we know people fall asleep in these. We know folks don't always have a very loud hoag yelling at them in the ears when we make these documents. So we're going to put all of the important bits up top. So if you only get past paragraph one or paragraph two or paragraph three, you're going to have some of our biggest shots here. Shot one, the IS, that's the issues statement, closely follows the CMA's phase one decision. That document we did look at in this space, check out the playlist which explained why and how the transaction would harm competition in gaming consoles, multi-game subscription services, and cloud gaming. Now, keep in mind, by the way, that the EU doesn't quite follow this rubric. Uh, it's important to try to keep these separate. I know it's almost impossible. The CMA goes console market, game pass market, xCloud market, that this deal could cause problems in all of those. Gaming consoles is ridiculous on its face. So we'll talk about that, but... I'll also talk about the fact that it's ridiculous on its face. Game Pass is perhaps their strongest argument because if it is a separate market, Microsoft does have a leg up. They have a market controlling position right now in that market. And you can kind of frame this around them getting even more power in that market through putting Call of Duty on Game Pass. And worse for the Microsofts of the world is that if that is your winning theory, if that is what you decide to go with, whether you're in the European Union, the FTC, or the UK, well then, you might have as part of your concessions that Call of Duty can't go on Game Pass. Now you might say, Rick, that's that's ridiculous. It's absurd. Game Pass is very popular because it gets games into people's hands at a cheaper, more cost-effective price, and that's good for consumers. How could they do this? Well, because they're looking into the future and worried that if Game Pass takes over too much, that Microsoft is just waiting to drop the other shoe and they'll take over the market and then nobody will be happy because they won't put good things on there and they'll raise the prices as if a subscription service can't pop up overnight from many of the multi-billion dollar, if not trillion dollar tech companies out there. So again, dynamic market doesn't really match any of this. Sorry, folks. Uh, but we're going to have to take that assumption on its face. The decision is based on compelling and extensive evidence. You're doing a great job, CMA, says Sony. <laughs> Fantastic work, including Microsoft's. SIEs and Activision's internal documents, independent surveys, engagement spend and share data, multiple third-party views, Microsoft's own public statements, and a thorough analysis of Microsoft's past conduct. They took Starfield away. Took Starfield away. They're going to take Call of Duty away. It's going to kill the entire video game industry. You have to do something, United Kingdom. Now, interestingly enough, as you might have seen in various articles, you do have interviews with folks like 
uh, Zynga, Take Two. You have interviews with other folks in the publishing sphere that say, no, this doesn't hurt video game competition at all. So this is primarily Sony shouting, shouting into the wilderness and asking for special concessions. Uh, and that is going to be a part of this story that if the CMA or the European Commission or the FTC goes for this, they are really blocking for Sony and almost no one else. Think about it. If Call of Duty were to go exclusive on Microsoft, every other publisher would have the chance to go sell specifically into the Sony marketplace and make bank. They're probably frothing at that. Okay, yeah, take it off half the industry. We can make a, a, a move here. Maybe we could actually deliver a good battlefield, like a finished one with like very few bugs and like a user interface that works by the time it comes out. Kill9 here. Appreciate all the knowledgeable content you provide while I'm out here delivering mail on my route. Hope you and the family have a wonderful holiday. Well, thank you for delivering mail, Kill9. And I'm happy that you got me on. And uh, thank you so much for the super chat and for joining us today. We're going to have some fun conversations, I am sure. We've got 17 pages, really, to go through. So paragraph two, CMA, you're doing a bang-up job. You're doing a bang-up job, CMA. Good, good for you. Sony's sharding into the wind. Yes, I know I said that. Figured that that'll be clipped or whatever. Works with the thumbnail, right? All right, paragraph three. SIE agrees with the decision's findings. So you did a great job. You were super thorough. You nailed that project. We're super enthused about it. By the way, everything that you did was right, especially those times when you copied our homework. Oh, those were good ones. Everything you said is right. Silly Mikey says, how is Game Pass a market-leading position with a service no one else is attempting? Doesn't Netflix have 200 million subscribers compared to 30 million on Game Pass? Uh, yes, those are going to be separate markets. That's passive entertainment to video game entertainment. I know Netflix is trying to get into gaming, uh, but that is that is probably a bridge too far. Uh, Microsoft can try to advocate that they're really competing with Netflix or they're really competing with Hulu. I mean, if you take a market broad enough, uh, then you can say that all entertainment dollars are competing with each other, Right. Because I decide to go buy Black Adam on Voodoo, or I decide to purchase a Hulu subscription, or I decide to purchase Evil West on my PlayStation or my Xbox or any of those things. You can have that discussion. But generally speaking, antitrust law is going to look for when substitutes no longer serve that market purpose. Uh, and to me, I think passive entertainment and active entertainment, which is usually the buckets I put them in, are distinct enough. It's going to be a very hard, hard argument to make. But thank you so much for the super chat. Fuzzy Beard 3, thank you for the good legal analysis. I haven't even gotten into legal analysis. We're going to have some fun. Most people are so fanboyish, it's hard to get the facts on this. I love video games. I love PC games. I love Nintendo games. I love PlayStation games. And I love Xbox games. I have been fortunate to be blessed enough in my life to have all the plastic boxes under my TV most of the time. Not always. Everybody has a downturn, right? 2008, looking at you. But I have been fortunate enough to have that access. And so mostly I like everybody. Everybody does different things well. Microsoft, definitely. Sony, definitely. Nintendo, definitely. They're all competing in different axes, but within one market. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not a fanboy on this, even though people are constantly in my Twitter or in my comments, excuse me, one way or the other. And I am positive, just based on my thumbnail, we're going to get some responses or some uh, links or retweets that are like, look at this Xbox guy. I'm a guy in favor of treating the laws accurately and not having regulators get their business in things that they don't understand. That is what I'm in favor of. And if Sony found $70 billion under their couch cushions and was the ones responsible for this deal in January instead, you'd be hearing the same thing from me. You swap all of these names, I'm telling you the same thing. Legal analysis doesn't change based on the party name. It, do it just doesn't. All right, let's get back to the document or we're gonna be here for six hours. 
The transaction is a game changer that poses a threat to an industry enjoyed by hundreds of millions of consumers. Oh, I forgot their second sentence here to start off with. Sony believes strongly that the transaction will harm competition, industry participants, innovation, and consumers. Believe strongly it'll hurt consumers. Okay, Sony. Activision's content, in particular its blockbuster franchise, Call of Duty, one of the most successful franchises of all time, that for 20 years has been consistently the largest annualized AAA premium franchise in the games market, is irreplaceable for gaming platforms. Irreplaceable. I wonder how Nintendo has succeeded with the most popular hardware this generation. As the decision found, it is especially important for attracting gamers to the platform, and its importance cannot be captured by market share alone. Always look out when a regulator says that. The numbers, they're not telling the whole story. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. That's where bias lives. The transaction would put this content under Microsoft's sole control, giving it an unprecedented content advantage, says the makers of the primarily exclusive games across the industry. Right? The most exclusives are always Sony's. Always. At a point when the industry is at a critical inflection point in its evolution, isn't it always? Post-transaction, Microsoft would have the ability and incentive to exclude or restrict rivals, including PlayStation and PlayStation Plus. This is really the first kind of bringing in of their subscription service that they have mentioned here. And again, you kind of see what is probably their secondary end, right? We looked at the end. Their last ask, their big request is that this deal cannot be allowed. The deal itself will destroy competition. But secondarily, secondarily, Mr. Regulator, um, you might be thinking that you could just get away with giving a concession that gives us Call of Duty for a period of time. I don't know, say five years or 10 years. Well, our big problem is that they'll put it on their Game Pass and they won't allow it on our PlayStation Plus. And wouldn't that be a bad thing? Because even if we have access to Call of Duty, if we try to sell it at 70 bucks, then it's on their Game Pass. And that just looks like that just looks like too much value, right? Who's not even gonna buy it at 70 bucks? Hurts our bottom line. So we're gonna need some we're gonna need some rulings about PlayStation Plus access too, or Game Pass restrictions. Either way, whatever gets the job done. The decision identifies five recent Microsoft acquisitions of game studios where, shortly after the acquisition in question, Microsoft changed the business model of the acquired studios and withdrew new titles from competing platforms. As the CMA found, Microsoft has a pattern of acquiring development studios and making their upcoming games exclusive to Xbox. Given the significance of Activision's titles, Microsoft would have an even stronger incentive to make them exclusive to Xbox and Game Pass post-transaction. In fact, Microsoft does not contest that it intends making Activision content exclusive to Game Pass and denying PlayStation Plus access to the content. Again, the primary issue that we have here is that when I buy something, I'm going to use it to advantage myself and that that is the definition of competition. That the antitrust laws are built around the notion that two rivals smacking each other in the face results in consumer good, right? Right? Well, no, because it would hurt our PlayStation Plus product. We can't we can't have that. Now, as for this pattern, I'm actually pretty interested in this. We went over the CMA stuff, and I, I already commented on the fact that I think they get it wrong, so you can check out that six-hour and 50-minute video if you want. But Microsoft seems to be taking things on a case-by-case -case basis, right? They buy Mojang. They keep Minecraft on there. They bring the other Minecraft-branded stuff to the other platforms. Uh, they honor their contracts, which is fine, but we can anticipate that without a contract, they'd probably keep more things like Deathloop or Ghostwire Tokyo on their system alone. 
And yet you still see instances where Microsoft is making those decisions case by case. Uh, there really isn't this kind of understanding. You saw in the CMA's argument that they talk about Starfield, for instance. Starfield doesn't exist yet. They can think it's going to be a success. I honestly have my doubts watching those trailers, but they don't have to give it to another platform. And Sony isn't obliterated by not having access to Starfield or even the Elder Scrolls 6 were that to come down. Now, the Elder Scrolls as a series exists on PlayStation, so Microsoft might make a different choice. You are telling these regulators what choices they will make, asking them to make decisions on the guarantee that they will do these things, and there isn't that guarantee. We don't want regulators trying to prognosticate. I don't even know when Elder Scrolls 6 might come out. I might not be alive for the release of Elder Scrolls 6. We don't want them jumping that far into the future. Callista asks a very important question. Has Nintendo filed anything in this case? Or is it only Sony that seems to care? Certainly nothing that Nintendo might have filed has been highlighted. Um, and so Nintendo just kind of sits back. Nintendo, here's the big trick. This is the big problem with Sony. And Brazil found this, and I thought it was very useful as a bit of argument. Nintendo doesn't have access to Call of Duty. Nintendo really doesn't have access to Activision games. Uh, and Nintendo thrives and survives. And the CMA has to go and spend paragraphs saying, well, Nintendo's not even in this market, basically. Nintendo's in a completely different market because they're focused on family-friendly stuff. Well, they, they chose to compete in an area in the market that was underserviced or would be serviced without them. And so they have focused on that. If Sony loses Call of Duty, Sony can focus on that. Sony can focus on a different area that they find that is underserviced. That's what competition looks like. That's what a robust and dynamic industry looks like. Sony says we got to have Call of Duty. Got to have it. Cannot exist without Call of Duty. BS. BS. All right. Let's continue on. The transactions affecting consoles and multi-game subscription services would cause significant harm to consumers, competition, and developers. Let's talk about it, Sony. Wow me. Maybe by the end of this video, I'll be completely convinced. Let's see. Consumers would be harmed. This is an interesting one. In the short term, PlayStation users, well, pause, Sony. PlayStation users aren't consumers as a class. Yes, we get it. People invested in your ecosystem might be harmed if Call of Duty no longer appears on their system. I imagine that people that have things that are pulled from them on exclusivity basis, like, oh, I don't know, Final Fantasy 16, would like it if it were available on the Xbox. But it isn't. That's how you guys compete. In the short term, PlayStation users would no longer have access to Call of Duty or would be forced forced to spend 450 pounds on an equivalent Xbox to play this hugely popular game on their less preferred device. <sighs> less preferred. PlayStation users, if you play a PlayStation, you prefer PlayStation. I got news for you, Sony. Depending on how I wake up on any given morning, I prefer either the Nintendo, the PlayStation, or the Xbox. Just because we bought one of your systems does not mean our souls are owned by you. Okay. To be clear, to be clear, in the midterm, a significant number of PlayStation users would likely switch to Xbox and or Game Pass. That's competition, baby. Faced with weaker competition, Microsoft would be able to increase console and game prices for Xbox users. Oh my God, Sony. You're actually talking to the UK market right now where you just raised prices on the PlayStation 5 which you probably couldn't do if Xbox had a stronger foothold in that jurisdiction. In fact, you didn't do it in the United States. Now, we can talk about currency exchanges, but we also have supply issues. We also have just market power. And it is notable that the one market where you really get pushback, the United States, is the one market where you didn't raise your console prices. And you go to the UK and you say, if we are hurt, they could raise their prices 
increase the price of Game Pass and reduce innovation and quality because Sony will be so weakened. They will be struck low from the fact that they are the market leader that they won't even have any pushback. Xbox can do what it wants. Just like PlayStation does what it wants right now. We are starting on such weak ground. I don't even know what they're going to do for the next 15 pages. Such weak ground. These harms would be amplified by the direct and indirect network effects at play in the industry, allowing Microsoft to further raise prices or reduce quality once its position has become even more entrenched with Call of Duty as an exclusive Mr. Regulator there would be nothing to stop their total global domination. Folks, Call of Duty is very popular. Out of the enormous number of people that actually play video games, it's not even a majority. Not even a majority. Britt Cormier says, Mr. Hogue, I must protest. Nintendo has access to the greatest of Blizzard's franchises, Diablo. If you do not agree, you are just in denial. LOL. I, I didn't mean to suggest that there were no Activision titles on Nintendo. I did mean to suggest that there are very few. Um, and so, yep, Diablo, great. They worked out Diablo on Switch. Don't think they're going to make Diablo 4 on Switch. <laughs> but maybe they will. Maybe they've already announced it. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Either way, it is a certifiable fact that Nintendo does not survive due to access to Call of Duty or Activision. Right? I think we can agree on that. I love your verve, Britt. Thank you for the super chat. Awesome stuff. So we're starting in a ridiculous place. Let's continue down ridiculous mountain. Competition would be harmed. The very nature of this thing. PlayStation's and Xbox's incentives to invest in innovation and quality improvements depend on the number of customers that competition can attract. Microsoft's foreclosure strategy would lock in many consumers to Xbox, including existing Xbox users who play Call of Duty and those switching from PlayStation to play Call of Duty. These locked-in users would become less likely to switch in response to any pro-competitive actions on Sony's part. This would effectively prevent Sony from competing for the business of a large portion of console gamers, reducing its incentives to invest. If you feel your brain melting here, folks, it's not, if this is true for you, because you don't understand gaming. It's because this makes no sense. The entire premise of the antitrust laws are that if a, a mover or a shaker goes and competes, they acquire a company to compete more. Nobody argues that they're very high in the overall gaming uh, percentage, right? Microsoft is not ruling the roost when it comes to console gaming. That they go and they compete, that that incentivizes the other competitors to reduce prices or to increase innovation. And, and so you have to cross the Rubicon right? You have to go and you have to say that this particular action goes so far that we are reduced in our incentives to compete at all. This is them talking about themselves, by the way. And this is in ways an extortative kind of uh, mafia family threat. It'd be a shame if we just got out of this industry entirely, wouldn't it, UK? Which I guess we'd be forced to do if you were to accept this deal. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Microsoft goes from, let's give it second position. I don't even think that's necessarily the case, but it might be in the UK. Microsoft goes from second position, maybe takes a minor lead in market share with Call of Duty as an exclusive. Let's say that happens. Sony's going to go and wither on the vine and die when they're in the same place that Microsoft was. That tells you something about Sony if that's true, but it tells you something about Sony right now because it's not. This is ridiculous. This is the opposite of what is likely to happen with a more competitive Microsoft.
Sony has every incentive to go and fight that back, every incentive to put dollars into make it Call of Duty alternative when they haven't had that incentive so far because they have just been sitting and collecting their 30% from Activision. We want them to have incentives to do those kinds of things. And they deign to bring this up as their argument against the deal. My goodness, I love my PlayStation, but you're working on me, Sony. You're working on me. Independent developers would be harmed. Now, Sony has no right or position to say this about other parties. Let's see what they have to say. Independent developers today have two principal options, PlayStation, PlayStation Plus, and Xbox Game Pass. Indies? Indies have two principal options, and it's Xbox and PlayStation. Are you kidding me right now? Are you kidding me? You don't think Indies have a big-time show on Nintendo? They don't have an independent direct for Nintendo systems? That in some ways Nintendo Switch lives on Indies because they can actually run them? Are you kidding me? Now, this is interesting because Sony's forced into this position because they would love to mention Nintendo in various of these places and not look like idiots that don't understand their own industry. But the CMA has decided that Nintendo isn't in their market, so they really can't mention Nintendo unless it is to deride them or to agree with the CMA that they aren't a part of the market. So you get idiotic sentences like this. Independents have these two choices. Forget about consoles. How about mobile and PC? Independents will be hurt by stronger Microsoft is quite the take, Sony. By making Call of Duty exclusive to Xbox Game Pass, the transaction would tip demand for multi-game subscription services towards Xbox Game Pass. As Microsoft foreclosed PlayStation, PlayStation Plus, it would likely become a critical distribution channel for independent developers. In that weakened negotiating position, independent developers would likely receive worse terms for their content from Microsoft or even be required to promise exclusivity in return for distribution, thereby diminishing independent developers' ability and incentive to invest in high-quality new games. This, in turn, would also harm consumers even further. See, folks, all of these paragraphs, I'm deriding them because they are worthy of derision. All of these paragraphs are pre-baked. These are written by Cleary Gottlieb for an actual antitrust event. Somebody taking all of, let's say, all of the iron out of something that you make that needs iron and then saying, well, this is going to kill everything because they're going to take over this thing. We can't even compete with it. And then they're going to kill the market and consumers are going to be harmed because the quality is going to go down or the price is going to go up or both. And yet we're talking about Call of Duty. We're talking about a single game in a thousand game release year. We're talking about a single game and PlayStation say, well, we're just, we couldn't possibly survive without this thing. Independent developers would be harmed. Look, you're, there's a better way to argue this. Uh, and that is that specific types of independent developers would be harmed. Uh, by the Game Pass taking over, but it requires you to accept that Game Pass is a completely separate market from all of these other things that I've mentioned, which is a ridiculously myopic way to look at the video gaming industry. It's the only one that works for Sony, so I don't really deny them for going in that direction. It's also one that the CMA has signaled might have some success for them, and yet it's ridiculous on its face. Anyone that plays video games, even kind of a little bit, understands how ridiculous this is on its face. Pre-authorized transaction for $110.09 from PayPal says, oh, I didn't know you were streaming. What did I miss? You can go back or you can go to the beginning and watch me at 1.75 speed or two times speed. I'll still be talking when you get here. I'm on page three. <laughs> so we'll, we'll get here. But, but you missed me talking a little bit about things. Britt says, since Nintendo doesn't have Call of Duty, it avoids the craziest of online gaming areas, the Call of Duty lobby. Family-friendly tags do not belong anywhere near those lobbies. You know, honestly, Nintendo is probably skittish about a lot of the play on some of the Activision multiplayer games. 
Uh, that's probably a part of that story, Brent. So an excellent super chat and observation. Chris Gomez, can you explain why Sony hired PS fan club members to write arguments instead of lawyers? Clary Gottlieb is a really expensive law firm. They completely miss actual market arguments that might work. So here's the thing I'll tell you about the lawyer and client relationship. The client rules. Client is the boss, right? So Cleary Gottlieb, excellent law firm. I am not going to sit here and say anything bad about Cleary Gottlieb. Doesn't mean they don't do bad law sometimes. Lawyers are good and lawyers are bad. But Cleary Gottlieb clearly taking its direction from what Sony wants to put out there. And Cleary Gottlieb is being smart in that they are just mirroring the CMA, right? You might see this in like psychological profiling or behavioral analysis, right? That kind of mirroring notion. You take what they've said, you take the way they've said it, and you kind of repeat it back and you pat them on the head and say, you are so smart. You are so smart, CMA. You know, other people, those Brazilians, those Brazilians, they didn't understand how smart you are, but you're so much smarter than Brazil. Did you know that, CMA? We are very proud of you. And so we're going to use the same language you use. We're going to say it back to you. You're going to sound even smarter. Look, somebody agrees with you really strongly. And that wouldn't happen if you weren't so smart. Aren't we right? So I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Cleary Gottlieb is being crap on this. I'm going to tell you that they are following the CMA's lead in what the CMA is signaling they might accept as an argument. So the CMA is driving this bus. CMA is looking at it and saying, hey, here are our silly arguments. And Cleary Gottlieb says, oh, those silly arguments are so, so good, though. Let's talk about how good they are. And or Sony is directing them to do exactly that. So I'm not going to sit here and say this is a bad document, but I am going to make fun of their arguments because they deserve to be made fun of here. Nova says, just showing support. Really appreciate this. I really appreciate you, Nova. I don't recognize that profile. It's kind of a cool guy. Big fat Einstein. Love it. Love it. All right. We got to continue or else I'm never getting done. <laughs> the transaction would harm nascent competition in cloud gaming. The decision cogently explains. Note those words, right? Rhetorically. The, it's so smart. You're so smart, CMA cogently explains how the transaction would allow Microsoft to use Activision's irreplaceable content. We're going to mention it's irreplaceable a bunch. We're going to tell you you're so smart to leverage Microsoft's ecosystem advantages and thereby foreclose cloud gaming at a critical point of its evolution. Cloud gaming really doesn't exist right now as a market. Microsoft used content community in cloud areas where Microsoft have unique advantages via its leading cloud platform, Azure, its highly successful gaming system, Xbox, its leading multi-game subscription service, Game Pass, and its dominant PC OS, Windows as the future of gaming. It well might be, but we're not predicting the future. At least that's not supposed to be our business. As the decision explains so rightly, so rightly, by leveraging its unique combination of capabilities across these areas, Microsoft would strengthen network effects, raise barriers to entry, and hence foreclose rivals in cloud gaming services. You have no idea what they would do. Um, and Microsoft, I think, cogently, as long as we're using nice words about them, explains that cloud gaming doesn't exist yet, and we have every incentive to make sure that any investments that we have in that succeed. And so actually... Mr. Regulator, we're all in this together at this point in a tech industry, which is exactly how tech operates for those early days of a nascent market. We are all in this together because we have to go make sure that that pie is baked before we start tearing it apart ourselves. Microsoft's response to the decision claims, okay, derisive language, they claim this, <laughs> they make this assertion, CMA, but we can all see right through it, can't we? That the CMA's case rests on self-serving statements by Sony. We don't, we don't self-serve, we're here for good. We're just here for the general good. Sony's statements are not self-serving. <laughs> Why? Don't, don't try to discount it that way. It's patently obvious your statements are self-serving, okay? Try to go with it a different way. Not just self-serving, maybe. This is real information. We'll, we'll, we'll continue in a second here. We got another super chat. Oh, my God. David Pomez, please change the PS to BS on Sony's next console. That's all I'm asking for. 
again, I like my PlayStation, but you want to call it a bull station. I'll, I'll, I'll go with you on that uh, right this second. They reflect genuine and evidenced concerns about a tech titan. What the hell? Capital T, capital T on tech titan? Is this a defined term somewhere? A tech titan buying up irreplaceable content at incontestable prices to tip competition to itself. The decision does not rest not only on statements made by Sony, but rather on a wide body of evidence from other third parties, internal documents, business data, economic analysis, and Microsoft's own conduct, which is all basically just Sony, that explains Microsoft's strategy and the anti-competitive effects that the transaction would have. To take just one example, the decision identifies multiple Microsoft documents highlighting its incentives to foreclose rivals. We talked about those as well when we looked at the prior documents. There is no question that anybody that is following their fiduciary duties when they're talking about an acquisition of this type would spitball, would thought experiment, would consider exactly what a foreclosure strategy would look like, exactly whether that would work or not. Doesn't mean they came to that conclusion. And they might. The real problem here is that if they decide to foreclose Call of Duty, that's entirely within their power. We recognize Sony wouldn't die. All of this doesn't pass the smell test for what would actually happen to Sony or the industry. And so that fundamental truth continues to just kind of gnaw at all of these arguments. Instead of engaging with the decision's careful and thorough assessment, you're so smart. You're so smart, CMA. Maybe we should drink whatever we got. Just ice water for me. Whatever we get language, it's just like, oh, CMA, I can't believe how smart you are. Microsoft is somewhat behind CSIE. Does not mean that the transaction cannot harm competition. For, oh, sorry, apologies. I skipped ahead. Instead of engaging with the decision's careful and thorough assessment, Microsoft's core argument is that the transaction cannot harm competition because PlayStation is currently more popular than Xbox. This contention is misconceived. Its core argument? Its core argument is that you won't be obliterated by Call of Duty not being made available to you, regardless of where you stand in your market position. Although the fact that they aren't market leader is helpful. First, the circumstance that in the recent console generation, Microsoft is somewhat behind SIE does not mean that the transaction cannot harm competition. Note this reference to the current console generation, right? That Microsoft is behind Sony. Microsoft was obliterated by Sony in the last console generation, but Microsoft has had some success generation to generation. To my view, the, the generational differences are actually a great example of why these regulators should be reluctant to do anything too draconian with respect to concessions or these deals. Every single generation, we see people reassessing where they're going to put their video game dollars, where they are going to spend their video game time. And Microsoft succeeds when its product is deemed better by the market, and Sony succeeds in the opposite. And that continues to be reflective. People have a great deal of flexibility for which plastic box they want to put under their TV, and that's a good thing. But it does mean that we should be a little bit more reluctant to stick our noses in it. Britt says, Hogue, I might be wrong, but I do not think I am. But PS has one of the most popular new games as an exclusive right now, God of War Ragnarok. I mentioned it, Britt. I mentioned it. But yes, that's the way PlayStation sells its boxes. Gran Turismo 7. Horizon Forbidden West, God of War Ragnarok. Those are the ones they make, but there's plenty that they don't make that they make exclusive. You go look at the trailer to Final Fantasy 16, it says it's exclusive. You go look at any of these other trailers that Sony will put in its state of place, they will generally say exclusive. This is the time. This is money that we have spent. Why? Not because they needed it. Square Enix doesn't need incentive to make Final Fantasy, but because we think that is useful to competing in the console space. We do. And sometimes we even make it exclusive forever. I still don't see Final Fantasy VII on the Xbox, the remake. I still don't see various other games on the Xbox. 
And so Sony is using its money to do this kind of thing. It's one of the more ironic things about this particular line of argument. We have more Super Chats. People are very animated and excited about this, and I'm, I'm here for it. Marvin says, this Sony CMA stuff comes off as a farce. Thanks, Hoglaw, for breaking it down. It really does. Really does. Jorge says, Sony's arguments, some, only work if they're talking about Xbox versus PS, but it's obvious they're arguing in bad faith when it comes to Nintendo, mobile, and PC. Now, mobile and PC, a reasonable person can go and say those are different markets, that there isn't the same kind of substitutability or crossover between mobile and the rest of gaming, that those are different experiences. I'm actually kind of open to that, although I think it's something that needs to be discussed more than how the CMA is doing it. Uh, PC, very similarly. Now, there's a lot of crossover in the types of games that are available, so I think PC is probably closer in line than mobile is. Uh, but I do think focusing on console is okay, but Nintendo kills their argument completely, right? And that's a problem that they have, and it's not one that they're going to get rid of. So foreclosure of an important competitor still constitutes anti-competitive conduct, and in the present case, would have anti-competitive effects. That is just not true. This sentence is insane from Sony. Insane. Sony is in the business of foreclosing important competitors, it does not constitute anti-competitive conduct until it hurts competition specifically. How can you put this in your document, Sony? This needs to at least be mitigated to some extent, right? Then we've got to continue down this road. To the extent that Sony has achieved the lead, this has been driven by its investments in the quality of its platform and competition on the merits. Are you freaking kidding me? Okay. All right, we gotta take a breath. We gotta take a breath. Microsoft had in its document uh, a few weeks ago that they acknowledged that Sony has in large part succeeded uh, because they have exclusives, that they sign exclusives. Brazil noticed this. A lot of people noticed this. That is a merit kind of competition. I will grant you they're picking who the winners are and they're working to bring people into their console, but that's no different than buying Activision. It's bigger. Sony can't spend that much money. Very sad. Sorry, Sony. But it's the same kind of thing. These two sentences are insane and self-aggrandizing. Remember, we're only a couple of paragraphs removed from saying, none of these statements are self-serving. What are you talking about? We are neutral arbiters of truth, justice, and the British way, the United Kingdom way. A foreclosure strategy that significantly restricts Sony's ability to compete would not result in a level playing field and would have been achieved only by harming competition and consumers. I can't, I might not make it through 15 pages, folks. I might not make it. Zeta Ridge 7 says, this document by CMA literally sounds like an essay written by rabid fans throwing hissy fits and Sony's not much better. Like I said at the start of all this, if you've just joined us here, we have more than a thousand people here. That is super awesome. If you're enjoying this kind of content, law and business about software technology and video games, please do leave a like and maybe a comment. YouTube loves those engagements. I really appreciate it. Um, please do that. Uh, but we talked about it earlier. But the, the notion here that uh, it's just a rabid hissy fit is, I don't think, fully accurate. What they saw from the CMA is that there was an opening here, that the CMA was giving credence to some of this. Now, does that make it not a hissy fit? No, but it does mean that there's a legal strategy here. You're starting to see somebody say, well, maybe that's right. And you press on it, you press on it, you press on it. And if you weren't here at the top of the video, we're reading through these pages on the understanding that the last sentence Sony puts in this document is that this deal cannot be allowed. Basically for any reason that allowing the deal at all is going to kill competition. And so Sony has pressed further than it has before. This is a bigger move. 
from Sony than they had shown before. And it's one of the reasons why we see from instance in the New York Times article that it's clear Sony isn't going to accept that 10-year offer for Call of Duty from Xbox because they think they can win. Now, will that burn them? I think it will. I don't think these arguments are very strong. And I think most judicial systems, I can't speak outside the United States, but most judicial systems would look at this and say, uh, we think this might be the opposite of what you're telling us. Pre-authorized transaction for $110.09 from PayPal says, so of this deal gets denied, if the deal gets denied because of Sony's misleading the regulators, can Microsoft and Activision sue Sony for misleading them? I don't see it getting denied. No. Generally speaking, this is an answer to a request from regulators. Regulators solicited the request for comment. Sony is delivering that comment. Um, and for the most part, all of this is kind of specious, right? I'm sitting here telling you it's wrong, but even I'm using my economic background and my antitrust background and my law background to tell you why it's wrong. Um, maybe not a reasonable mind can differ on this, but a, a mind, a human being can differ on these kinds of things and say, well, I see the future this way, or I have a different philosophy. I'm worried about something in 10 years. I think that I'm allowed to worry about that thing in 10 years and use my laws to do it. And so I will. I don't think that's an appropriate venue. I don't really even think the UK regulations say that they should, but there you can get into reasonable minds can differ on interpretation of law. Britt says, okay, maybe this document was written by ex-Twitter employees. <laughs> they seem to have the same only I will save the world attitude. LOL, is that too soon? Maybe too soon, Britt. Um, certainly Sony is presenting as the one true uh, game system, right? Surely if we are hurt, all of competition is hurt. We can't have Microsoft in the leadership spot. That would be ridiculous. Uh, and I think it's ridiculous on its face, as I've expressed in both my tone and language. Dorian Gray says, here we have the courts, but do these regulators across the pond have any adults in the room? Yes, they have an appeals process. They have courts that they have to look at. I've covered that in this playlist. There are reasons to believe the appeals courts uh, may not be as negative on some of the stuff the CMA does as I am here, which is its own kind of problem. But there is a whole system in the UK that can talk about this stuff, as there is in the European Union. So in general, regulators are part of what we would consider the executive branch here and whatever they call that in any given jurisdiction, where you still, you can assert something, but we don't generally like just kind of plenary total authority in one of these bodies. So you still have to go through more of a process from there, whether it's the judicial or, or, or something else. Okay. All right. We took a breath. It's, it's hard to get over. It's hard to get over all foreclosure is anti-competitive and we would never do this. So let's, let's proceed on. Second, Microsoft's argument is particularly misplaced when looking beyond consoles and considering the impact of the transaction on the two other areas assessed by the decision. Multi-game subscription services, where Microsoft leads. I agree with that there. I think Microsoft's argument that they don't is wrong. And cloud gaming, where Microsoft has a well-established position in a non-existent market. Multi-game subscription and cloud gaming are at an early stage of development. And Microsoft's conduct could affect all current and potential rivals. Third, the decision and the uh, issue statement do not and should not rest on a static assessment based on current or past shares in consoles. That's true. Rather, the CMA's analysis rests on a more sophisticated approach. You're so sophisticated. So sophisticated. That considers dynamic and future competition, if only. The decision framework is consistent with the case law of the CAT and its recent Facebook Giphy judgment, which itself has a bunch of problems. So Sony's diving all the way into the well. Sony's probably backing up the FTC's uh, Facebook within uh, decision somewhere on a phone call or an email or a document like this one, which emphasizes the importance of a dynamic assessment. 
A proper dynamic assessment reveals the serious short and long-term harm that would arise from allowing the transaction to proceed and permitting Microsoft to execute a foreclosure strategy in consoles, multi-game subscription services, and cloud gaming. Let me tell you this. I think if there's actual dynamism that is put into your assessment of the video game market in particular, you cannot find that this deal is an antitrust violation, that that dynamism prevents it, that you see consumers reacting to all sorts of things, even in a mature market like this one, which is at least three decades old at this point, that if you actually assess dynamism, you say, Sony, you're going to be dynamic. You're going to be able to respond in a matter of years. We're not even talking decades here. This isn't ball bearing factories that are being purchased and that you can't replace. This is making a video game. It's what you do. You just got to go find that market. Got to go find that market. Sony is confident that the CMA's phase two inquiry will confirm that the transaction is likely to substantially lessen competition and should be prohibited. In the remainder of these observations, Sony addresses the three theories of harm. Okay, should be prohibited. Theory of harm number one, input foreclosure of rival gaming platforms. So in this sentence, we talked about it at the top, but I've got a lot more people here than when we started. The input is Call of Duty. The CMA slash Sony has put forth a theory that PlayStation is like uh, making tables and it needs the wood that is Call of Duty to make those tables. Does it work in economic parlance? Not really. Uh, but there are input foreclosure treatises and documents that they can kind of just squeeze this notion into and try to get some effect from the CMA. Under theory of harm one, which we will call TOH1, the issues statement and decision explain that Microsoft would have the ability and incentive to withhold or degrade rival consoles access to Activision's gaming content. The IS explains that post-transaction, Microsoft would have significant upstream market power and the incentive to engage in foreclosure. The CMA's thorough review of the evidence revealed that Microsoft has shown itself willing to make losses in the short term in order to build scale and increase its user base. Certainly they have in the past. Every video game company has. Every company on earth has looked at the long-term prognostication and said, we can sacrifice something in the short term. That's what competition looks like. And as a matter of fact, there's a whole set of treatises and economic books that say you don't want competition to be restricted to the short term because that has a tendency to blow up long-term shareholder value and the efficacy for consumers in that long-term period. So yeah, yeah. Now again, the actual phase one decisions are that these things could happen, that we're sending things to phase two to evaluate whether they will. A lot of this language here is suggestive of the fact that they already found that, maybe a little subtle uh, movement there, not quite gaslighting, but maybe in its vein. Uh, and so you see this kind of language used throughout. On effects, the decision stresses that it is focused on the impact of the merger on competition, not just its impact on any specific competitor. A little defensive there because it sure as heck looks to the world like they're just focused on protecting Sony. Because of the importance of Call of Duty content, which Nintendo doesn't use, the structure of the hardware market where PlayStation and Xbox compete closely head to head, and the presence of both indirect and direct network effects, the decision found that a material impact on Sony's ability to compete would have a detrimental impact on the overall competition in the market and ultimately harm consumers. Yes, well, we'll see on that. Sony agrees with these findings. This is a surprise, right? And the framework of the assessment set out in the decision and issue statement. The decision reached its conclusions based on a consistent, convincing, and compelling body of evidence. You're so smart. Including Microsoft's and Activision's internal documents, views from multiple third parties, revenue and user engagement data from Microsoft, showing Activision and Microsoft's titles account for 30 to 40% of minutes played on consoles in the UK, economic analysis and financial modeling, and Microsoft's past business practices. You know what isn't a monopoly even at this level? 30%. Activision and Microsoft titles account for 30% when combined. 
Wonder who has those other percentages. I wonder also if those are taking into account Nintendo or not. Weird. Faced with this evidence, Microsoft retreats to three main points. They're so bad. They're not as smart as you. It argues that Activision content is not particularly important. Microsoft has promised to make its content available on PlayStation post-transaction. And anti-competitive effects are not possible because PlayStation is more popular than Xbox. PlayStation today. Microsoft's arguments lack merit as shown in the following. Ooh. All right. Let's get into it, Sony. Why is Microsoft stupid about this? The CMA's quantitative and qualitative assessment confirmed the importance of Activision's content for attracting and retaining gamers. Despite planning to spend $68.7 billion to acquire Activision, Microsoft's first argument on theory of harm number one is that the CMA overstates the importance of Activision's content. Sony disagrees. The CMA conducted a detailed qualitative and quantitative assessment based on third-party evidence, engagement data, surveys on awareness, user numbers, gaming reviews, comparisons with rival franchises, and Microsoft and Activision's internal documents. Yes, the CMA knows what it looked at. The evidence unearthed by the CMA unequivocally attests that Activision content is especially important for attracting gamers to a platform. Let's say that's true. Let's say that Activision content is very important to bringing people in to a given ecosystem. Why isn't a company allowed to bring people into its ecosystem, Sony? The only realistic argument you can have is that Microsoft would get so big using that power that you would be devastated and can no longer compete. But does anyone looking at this document, looking at this deal in the chat or otherwise, think that is in fact the case? I would argue no. Again, and you know that, Sony. So other people are allowed to compete with you. You just don't want to lose. That's what all of this reads as to me. In response, Microsoft argues by reference to redacted Xbox usage data that Call of Duty gamers cannot be considered special or unique. This is incorrect and disproven by the available data. Call of Duty gamers are special and unique, argues Sony. What matters is the importance of the content that Microsoft would control post-transaction compared to its competitors and how this would affect competitive dynamics over time. Okay. I'll buy that, Sony. The reality is that the transaction would give Microsoft control over irreplaceable content that could in turn confer an extraordinary advantage and allow it to foreclose its rivals. Call of Duty is irreplaceable. Let me tell you a story. One of the things that I don't much care for about this transaction is that I have not seen Microsoft yet succeed so very, very much uh, with the developers that it has yet purchased. Now, we have to give them time, as people keep reminding me. Uh, when they're not calling me an X-Bot for having videos like this one regarding Sony's attempts to block the Activision deal. Uh, but the games that have succeeded on the Microsoft side of things that are published by Microsoft Gaming Studios were largely in production before Xbox took over. And we had a very unsuccessful year for Microsoft Gaming Studios here in 2022. And I would like to see them succeed. And I think there's a realistic worry that Sony can't quite articulate it because it's not really allowed in this context that Microsoft could ruin Call of Duty. That Microsoft could go in there and say, make them a bunch of Call of Duty vanguards, just to put it in a way that people that have played Call of Duty can understand. A bunch of unsuccessful or less successful Call of Duty products that would leave an opening uh, for another party. As I said, I am not a fanboy of any of these particular groups. Now, I don't think that will happen with Microsoft, generally speaking, but it's a possibility. So when you talk about it being irreplaceable, well, it's going to be under new management. A lot of folks want them to be under new management because of the trouble that Activision had in the past. But, but Sony would have an opportunity under that new management to potentially compete with it. Irreplaceable? There's no game that's irreplaceable. Not even my beloved Final Fantasy. Love Final Fantasy to death. It's my favorite series in video gaming. Uh, or it was uh, until they started going down an action pathway. And it stopped probably being my favorite video game series. That can happen. 
people can make mistakes. Differences can happen. There are games that were really popular that aren't any longer. It's a dynamic and robust environment. And I know you want to use the word irreplaceable all the time because you think you have the CMA's ear on this, and you might, but it's just wrong-headed and wrong and kind of self-defeating, Sony, if I'm being honest. You don't think you can replace Call of Duty? Call of Duty ain't that special, bro. You can do it. Sony, I believe in you. Go spend some millions. Microsoft would control irreplaceable content that drives user engagement. Post-transaction, Microsoft would control Activision content that drives X times as much user engagement on PlayStation than all of Sony's best-performing first-party titles put together. Blank of that user engagement is driven by Call of Duty alone. Microsoft would control Activision content that drives multiple as much user engagement on PlayStation than all of Sony's best-performing first-party titles put together. All right, we got to be real careful about this sentence, folks. So I think the key here... Again, this is a first look for folks that don't know. I haven't prepped this at all. Is user engagement, right? Activision has a series of games that we might call live services. And live services games drive user engagement. They make you play it more and more that you buy battle passes. That's kind of the drive of the thing. It's one of the areas that Sony is moving into. In fact, we've covered it in virtual legality that Sony wants to have a bunch more live service games because there's real money there. But when you look at what they've put forth here, yes, Call of Duty Warzone have huge amounts of user engagement, right? Diablo, which isn't quite a live service game, but is live services enough, has a ton of user engagement. If we're talking about just Microsoft controls Activision content, are they including World of Warcraft? Because if they're including World of Warcraft in this sentence, which they can by definition, then they're cheating, right? We're not talking about PC multiplayer online games when we're talking about this, but it strikes me that that must be what they're doing while Sony has sold single-player games, God of War Ragnarok, not live services. You play through it once, you might be done. Last of Us, uh, for Horizon, Forbidden West. Gran Turismo is close to a live service type game, but not really following that model. So what they are saying is that we have gone a bad direction, potentially, with the way we have sold our games. We can't match them on this specific metric, and so they should be stopped. So they should be stopped. Sony, you're already moving towards live services. We already know this. You're already moving to compete with this at, as soon as or probably before at the Activision deal was actually uh, closed. You purchased Bungie to work on live services games, a multi-billion dollar transaction after this deal was signed in order to compete in this space. We know you can compete. You've shown it. You've shown it. And yet here we are, irreplaceable, irreplaceable. Don comes in with a super chat. You may have answered this already or may answer it later. I make no promises, Don. But I want to ask, why not just spin off Call of Duty into its own company? Microsoft says that this is about King, not Call of Duty, so problem solved, right? Microsoft is almost certainly driven by King. They really want to get into mobile. They are right to want to get into mobile. King is very good at mobile, and King can spread its institutional knowledge across Microsoft. And maybe, maybe someone tries to spin off Call of Duty as, as part of these regulators. But Call of Duty is still important. Call of Duty is still important. You've got Sony here going that, we can't actually have anyone own it. We'll see that at the end of this document. So that creates its own problem for regulators if, say, Sony wanted to buy it or Nintendo. Um, and so even a Call of Duty spinoff is a potential problem because you might not have realized this. Um, certainly, I don't blame anybody for not. Activision has basically shut down all of its companies and turned them to making Call of Duty. Though they have a bunch of different subsidiaries of a bunch of different places and made a bunch of different games. You know, Crash Bandicoot, Spyro... Tony Hawk and all sorts of different things in the last little while. All those companies have basically been shut down or more specifically repurposed to work on Call of Duty. So Activision itself outside of Blizzard and King is a Call of Duty company. So you're talking about spinning off all of Activision, which is a heck of a spinoff. In fact, probably the majority of the assets 
involved at the company. Uh, and that isn't usually how these things are driven. You buy a holistic company for 70 billion. And when you have to spin off, you buy the whole thing and then you spin it off. You have to sell it in a, in a period of time. That might not have an obvious marketplace for everything that regulators would say on this. So I don't see a divestiture happening. I think it's a go, no go type situation. Uh, it's an interesting question. It's one of the tools in regulators' tool belts. Uh, but I just think Call of Duty and Activision are basically synonymous. And that's a lot of the infrastructure behind this entire operation. So, yeah. Sorry, I don't see that one happening. But uh, stranger things have happened in this deal alone. Drawn TJ, it's going to go through. What do the regulators have to use for their case? Well, I think all these regulators are going to find it to be a competitive problem. And then they're going to ask for concessions. The real question is, are those concessions going to be reasonable or not? I think the FTC is already gathering lawyers to prep what a lawsuit would look like. That's how they that's how they negotiate for a consent decree. Uh, I think you're going to see the same thing in the UK and the EU. I never really suggested that that wasn't going to happen. As soon as Microsoft in January and February start saying we're willing to promise Call of Duty on the PlayStation, that sounds like they're negotiating a concession. And you'll see me in a video in January or February saying exactly the same thing. So I think they're negotiating concessions in the contours of what those are. Uh, but when we're looking at it, um, as whether the deal will go through, it depends greatly on what those concessions wind up being, what they're asking for. Thank you for the super chat. D World, Sony seems to be shooting itself with the moves it has made. And if Call of Duty is removed, Activision Blizzard King isn't dominant in the console market. I'm befuddled how it plays out. I certainly think they are making a long-term enemy of Sony, uh, which is an interesting move by Sony. Uh, they're taking a swing. Even if they succeed in this swing, at bare minimum, Sony's method of temporary exclusives, even long-form exclusives, remember three years for Destiny or whatever it was, um, uh, might wind up swinging back at them if Microsoft is suddenly sitting on $67, $65 billion, depending on how much they wind up paying for Activision if this deal falls through. But, but uh, even outside of that, I, I think Sony is just not covering itself in glory here. I want to be backing companies that make video games. I love this industry, and I think Sony was a great mover in 1995 and on. Uh, but this is very much bad advertising for me personally. This does not look like something that Sony should be doing, even though I understand it from a kind of real politic perspective. Call of Duty gamers are exceptionally important to PlayStation. In 2021, X million PlayStation users played Call of Duty, accounting for around X percent of the PlayStation user base and spending X billion on Call of Duty titles and associated game add-ons. More importantly, these users generated estimated annual platform spending of X billion on hardware peripheral subscription games and other PlayStation services. This represents around X percent of total spending on hardware peripheral subscription games and other PlayStation services. This is ridiculous. This is correlation, not causation, right? People that played Call of Duty on PlayStation also spent this much money on our platform. Okay, great. That doesn't mean that Call of Duty brought me to PlayStation or that if Call of Duty suddenly left, I wouldn't spend that money on the PlayStation platform. That's putting everybody that played Call of Duty and Ragnarok, that's putting the Ragnarok dollars in Call of Duty's bucket to make this argument. That is ridiculous on its face. And Sony knows it. Again, Call of Duty is different and more important to gaming platforms than the other games Microsoft mentions. Call of Duty is different to the other games that Microsoft mentions, such as Rocket League, NBA 2K, Minecraft, and GTA. Call of Duty has the highest number of MAUs live services among the top gaming franchises in 2020 and 2021. MAUs is monthly active users. It has a relentless release cycle with multiple studios with thousands of game developers working on different versions of Call of Duty at any one time to maintain yearly releases. And it is unique among AAA games because of its popularity, loyalty, and the enormous resources Activision commits to developing the franchise. Each release takes around three to five years to develop with budgets of over 300 million. I got news for you, Sony. That number is much closer to three than five uh, on at least most of the releases in the Call of Duty franchise. 
uh, and they've been having issues getting even that stuff out. And honestly, the really weird stuff about this argument is all of this engagement, Call of Duty, Warzone is baked into this under the brand name. So much of the MAUs and all of this live in Warzone and not the yearly release uh, that it gets all confused. And I will tell you this, I don't care what the contract says, there is no way that even an Activision-owned Microsoft is not keeping Warzone on PlayStation. That just wouldn't happen. I see no world in which that would occur. Uh, and so Warzone and those MAUs are staying, and there's no separation here in these arguments. In these arguments. Does this have to be overall unanimous to pass? You mean across the jurisdictions, Dorian Gray? No. They could certainly accept some random small country if they just decided to ban it. They just won't sell into there anymore. Uh, but in general, the FTC, the UK, and the EU, they're going to be working to synthesize whatever concessions look like for those particular jurisdictions. And they'll be playing it by ear. We'll play it by ear, too. We won't get a lot of info from that in terms of behind-the-scenes talks with those jurisdictions. But they want most everybody to pass it. Most everybody that actually looks at it, like Brazil, probably will. Uh, but these three particular jurisdictions have decided that they want to be more aggressive, which we kind of had a suspicion would happen. The EU was always going to do this this way. The UK, we didn't really know. It's a bit of a wild card. Uh, and the FTC could have gone either way, but the FTC had been signaling that it wanted to be more aggressive for a year plus now. So it has to be relatively agreed upon across the jurisdictions. Okay. Sony's Microsoft's and Activision's documents attest to the importance of Call of Duty. Sony's internal documents make clear that Call of Duty generates a stronger connection with gamers than any other FPS game. Sony's internal documents make that clear? Not self-serving indeed. It has the highest awareness of any third-party video game franchise, and the franchise blanks. Footnote 14. We have no idea what that is. A Sony survey conducted in the normal course of business, certainly not in light of this, finds that Call of Duty has the highest gamer familiarity, awareness, and ownership of all third-party video game franchises globally. Likewise, as the CMA has found, Microsoft and Activision's documents discussed in the decision attest the importance of Call of Duty. It's very popular. Okay. Call of Duty is not replicable. And this is just Sony saying this again. Call of Duty is too entrenched for any rival, no matter how well-equipped to catch up. Call of Duty is forever. Forever is Call of Duty. It has been the top-selling game for almost every year in the last decade. And in the first-person shooter genre, it is overwhelmingly the top-selling game. Tell me again, Sony, what first-person shooter games do you make? Hmm? Other publishers do not have the resources or expertise to match its success. To give a concrete example, uh-oh, I'm feeling an electronic arts burn coming. EA, one of the largest third-party developers after Activision, has tried for many years to produce a rival to Call of Duty with its Battlefield series. Despite the similarities between Call of Duty and Battlefield, and despite EA's track record of developing other successful AAA franchises, such as FIFA, Mass Effect, Need for Speed, and Star Wars Battlefront, Star Wars Battlefront you're going with, the Battlefield franchise cannot keep up. As of August 2021, more than 400 million Call of Duty games has been sold, while Battlefield has sold just 88 million copies. As of August of 2021. Well, okay. See, so Sony's taking advantage of the CMA here. Battlefield sounds like it's Call of Duty. But anybody that's in gaming understands that there are massive differences between the Battlefield uh, game offering and the Call of Duty one. Not the least of which is that Battlefield specializes in big, large-scale engagements across, well, battlefields. And Call of Duty represents twitch shooting of generally smaller engagements and more traditional kind of arena team uh, behavior-based gaming. 
And Battlefield has had a couple of bad years because DICE doesn't appear to have somebody running it anymore. Uh, so that's an issue in and of itself, but it doesn't mean that it's impossible to match Call of Duty. It means that Electronic Arts has failed. And while you're including these Electronic Arts successes, I think the parenthetical to describe the Electronic Arts misses could be much bigger. Electronic Arts falls on its face regularly, which might be what Microsoft responds to this with. Are you kidding me? Yeah, Electronic Arts sucks in a lot of ways. By the way, Activision does too in a number of ways. We are taking on a company that was in distress, as the New York Times properly put it. Ignoring these facts, Microsoft argues that Nintendo has been successful without access to Call of Duty. This misses the point. Oh, do tell. The decision identifies a wide body of evidence showing that Nintendo offers a differentiated experience to Xbox and PlayStation. We'll get there. Because it is focused on family-friendly games that are very different from the Peggy 18 FPS games like Call of Duty. <laughs> This is supported by Microsoft's internal documents, which, so the CMA found, show that in general, Microsoft's internal documents track PlayStation more closely than Nintendo, with Nintendo often being absent from any internal competitive assessment. I also do want to thank folks. People have been gifting subs. I can't always find those uh, here because they don't show up on my stream yard. Fun Times gifted five Hoglaw memberships. Thank you so much, Fun Times. That is awesome. Uh, Bo Johan, constantly confused, gifted 10 Hoglaw memberships. That is also awesome, Bo. I really, really appreciate the support uh, from all of you on this. I'm having a great time conversing with you. We're about halfway through this document. As you can see, this is why we're not covering a 111-page document here today. And we might do some kind of short-form virtual legality. I'll be reading it offline, undoubtedly. But I wanted to really uh, appreciate those memberships. GSD getting stuff done. Hey, Hoaglove, what you do? How much of this is Call of Duty on Game Pass? Uh, we haven't gotten to the Game Pass section specifically. We're right now in the place that says that Call of Duty is irreplaceable and that no one could possibly make a Call of Duty clone that was successful, even though Sony hasn't tried and we're reliant on electronic arts and their buffoonery to say that it's impossible. Honestly, it seems like a market problem to me, but Call of Duty sits there and you don't want to compete with it and you collect your 30%, your pound of flesh, and if you're Sony, you're sitting fat and happy. But we don't want to just be sitting fat and happy. We don't want to have to work for it. We don't want to have to work for it. Um, so thank you for that, Super Chat. Britt, FIFA equals money. They change the roster, not the gameplay every year, and people always buy the latest version. I want to see the margins on that game, right? Electronic Arts' major success is FIFA, which, as Britt properly points out, is regularly derided for not changing anything in its game, as it is with Madden, as it is with other Electronic Arts franchise games of that type. The fact that Electronic Arts can't succeed at something is just not too strong of an argument. I'm sorry, Electronic Arts. I'm looking forward to your Dead Space reboot. Hopefully it didn't ruin it. Maybe your new Star Wars game, but yeah, yeah. Electronic, if you're if you're relying on electric, electronic arts can't do it, so no one can. Honestly, Sony, are you even in your back room believing that? Electronic arts can't do it. No one can. It's irreplaceable. Really? EA? Come on, Sony. We know you're better at making games than EA. We know this. We know this. So Nintendo is differentiated as if, as if. Sony isn't out there selling a $600 peripheral next year to help differentiate it from Xbox. As if Sony isn't running a wall garden or trying to run a wall garden where generations matter against Xbox to differentiate their brand. As if brand differentiation isn't an unmitigated good and a function of successful competition across all economic industries. As if Microsoft and PlayStation and Nintendo, you know what? They're all in the same section of your target or your Best Buy, or whatever, because they're all competitors in video games. They're all competitors in video games. And also, Nintendo makes some M-rated stuff. Nintendo sells some M-rated stuff. They could have Call of Duty. 
if they wanted, if they negotiated it with Activision, probably in a cloud form. That's what Nintendo does with its fancier stuff. But they're on the line for Resident Evil. They've got cloud versions of things with Capcom. They are not that differentiated, and Sony knows it. Sony knows it. Some of this stuff is just plain bad faith, taking advantage of regulators that might not. Microsoft claims that Nintendo's differentiated model demonstrates that PlayStation does not need Call of Duty to compete effectively. I think this is one of the stronger arguments in any of these documents. But this reveals Microsoft's true strategy. It reveals them. Microsoft wants PlayStation to become like Nintendo so that it would be less close and less effective competitor to Xbox. Post-transaction, Xbox would become the one-stop shop for all the best-selling shooting franchises on console, Call of Duty, Halo, Gears of War, Doom, and Overwatch, as the decision explains, and it would then be free from serious competitive pressure. Sony, you had plenty of first-person shooters in the past. You had plenty of squad-based shooters in the past. You had plenty of shooters in general in the past. You don't think if Microsoft makes all of those games exclusive, which I have a problem finding them would do with Call of Duty uh, and, and probably Overwatch, if they make all of those games exclusive, that all of the rest of the developers, all of the rest of the publishers, including yourself, don't see an opening for the millions of players that play games on PlayStation? Really? Really. That's what we're supposed to buy out of this. Honestly, again, it goes to show you just from the earlier pages of this document that if this were to go down, even in the way that Sony is most frightened of, that would encourage innovation. That would encourage investment. That would encourage development and quality and result in, at bare minimum, another first-person shooter game to come out, right? Another franchise that somebody might prefer more than Call of Duty because if you love Call of Duty and what it offers, it's the only one. Maybe we need more people busting their butts and less people sitting fat and happy making games that can support an environment for these gamers. Maybe that would be a good thing. Sony doesn't want to bust its butt, folks. Sony doesn't want to do this. Sony wants its free money. Sony is a little bit worried that its free money is going away. A little bit worried. In short, Activision games, in particular Call of Duty, are critical to PlayStation. The franchise is firmly entrenched in gamer psyche. Every installment since Call of Duty was first released back in 2003 has consistently topped the charts. Call of Duty has become synonymous with the FPS category and is the benchmark against which all other FPS games are measured. Through its 20-year existence, no game has managed to rival Call of Duty's brand loyalty and network. Nothing uncovered by the CMA during its thorough phase one review. You're so smart. Suggests that this is likely to change in the future. We cannot compete. We are but low, humble servants of gamers, and we have no ability to make anything as grand and as wonderful as the Call of Duty franchise. We're very sorry. Very, very sorry. Microsoft has not committed to continue making Call of Duty games available on PlayStation. Here's the rub. And PlayStation Plus, we called it out when we saw it in the executive summary. Sony has advanced the ball past just access to Call of Duty, period, but also to access on their multi-game subscription service. So this is their secondary argument, right? We talked about this earlier, but if you're just joining us now, we talked about the fact Sony wants this deal killed completely. They are now pushing for it. They have cast their die. They are moving at maximum speed to actually get the deal blocked. But their secondary concern is, well, we didn't quite ask for enough the last time. We weren't quite ridiculous enough. They've offered it, maybe, sure, but we need it on PlayStation Plus. We need it on PlayStation Plus. Why? That's a business model. <laughs> it's not any different. But we're worried the Game Pass is just going to get too big. Microsoft's second argument on Theory of Harm number one is that Microsoft has offered Sony a contractual commitment to keep supplying it with Call of Duty, including new releases with feature and content parity. We offered it to them. 
but no contractual protections can ever provide proper protections against a foreclosure strategy. And this is why the CMA's guidelines emphasize that the CMA should not place material weight on contractual protections in a foreclosure case. Besides, Microsoft has badly mischaracterized its offer. Microsoft's proposal has three significant shortcomings, and we're not going to tell you about some of them. Parity. Microsoft blank. A commitment to equal treatment on PlayStation and Xbox is essential to maintain effective competition and to ensure a level playing field. Right. A level playing field is what Sony wants. It's definitely not the case that there are a series of Modern Warfare 2 commercials right now talking up the benefits, advantages, and non-parity that Sony has over its competitor in Microsoft with respect to the Call of Duty franchise. It's imperative that equal treatment exists or else there isn't a level playing field. Imperative. Now, what else are they not offering? Microsoft may be playing dirty with this contract. I'm not going to sit here and tell you Microsoft doesn't play dirty with contracts uh, occasionally. So they might be doing something weird. But chances are what they're saying is that we can do the kinds of things that Sony does when they enter into a marketing exclusive. We'll just consider it like we have a marketing exclusive with Call of Duty. And Sony is rejecting that out of hand, despite what we are seeing right now in the marketplace today on TV. While you're watching the World Cup or whatever, you can go watch Modern Warfare 2 commercials and talk up Sony's exclusivity deals. Multi-game subscription services. Microsoft has not agreed to make Call of Duty and other Activision titles available on PlayStation Plus. Why would they? Much less on terms that would be fair and competitive. On the contrary, they have made clear publicly that they intend to make Call of Duty available only on Game Pass and have said that if Sony is concerned, it can permit Game Pass on PlayStation consoles. Because Sony's multi-game subscription service is critical to its future competitiveness, Sony's business model, at least as portrayed to the CMA, changed entirely from when it released the PlayStation 5 two years ago to believing in this multi-game subscription model. They were slow. They're getting hit by that. They're losing market share because of that slowness. That is not Microsoft's fault. Because Sony's multi-game subscription service is critical to its future, access to Call of Duty on PlayStation Plus, which it doesn't currently have and neither does Game Pass, is essential. Likewise, other multi-game subscription services require Call of Duty to compete effectively. It doesn't need to just be on ours. It needs to be on all of them. We need to make sure Microsoft spent $70 billion to not do anything with it. Not anything. So you can see here, Sony has advanced the ball. Sony is pushing for more than it was before. Duration. Microsoft has only offered to continue making Activision games available on PlayStation until 2027. Likewise, in public comments just on October 26th, Microsoft said that it plans to offer Call of Duty on PlayStation only as long as that makes sense. A period until 2027 or some other possibly shorter time that Microsoft unilaterally determines makes sense is badly inadequate. Go buy it yourself, Sony. By the time Sony launched the next generation of its PlayStation console, it would have lost access to Call of Duty and other Activision titles, making it extremely vulnerable to consumer switching and subsequent degradation in its competitiveness. Even assuming that Sony had the ability and resources to develop a similarly successful franchise, it would take many, many years and billions of dollars to create a challenger to Call of Duty, like, say, five, many, many years. And the example of EA's Battlefield shows that any such efforts would more than likely be successful. Mr. Regulator... Battlefield, which is a tire fire set on fire and then thrown off a cliff, shows that you can't possibly beat Call of Duty. Can't possibly do it. We certainly couldn't do it. Not with many of the highest rated games of the past five years, regardless of how I might feel about some of them. We couldn't do it. My goodness gracious. Goodness gracious. Oh my. All right. Well, before we before we press on, the New York Times does suggest that at least after these documents were filed, so these are, I think, late October Microsoft offered a 10-year commitment, probably didn't offer it on PlayStation Plus, and probably still wanted what I'm guessing are the marketing exclusive type differences in the releases, uh, but did offer a longer period of time. Sony just says, well, contracts are nothing. Contracts are wind. 
Okay. And I did see a super chat here. Aaron says, at this point, I think Sony is just toying with Microsoft because these arguments are weak. Sony can compete. I don't know by making FPS or buying EA. Shoulder shrug. They don't want EA. If anything is pretty clear from this document, it would be a very interesting reunion for Sony and EA if they decided to buy EA after they said all this. Be like, well, we're sorry about those things we said. Um, you guys are great. You guys are great. You're not abject failures at uh, this competitive landscape. Don't worry about it. We're sorry. Uh, we'll buy you. I, I don't think Sony's going to buy EA. I don't think they have the money to buy EA, frankly. Um, so let's continue. Paragraph 17. More generally, Microsoft's past conduct shows that its public utterances should be treated with extreme skepticism. The decision identifies five separate transactions, ZeniMax, Obsidian, InXile, Ninja Theory, and Compulsion. So only this one is remotely this size. Where Microsoft acquired game studios and then made their upcoming games exclusive to Xbox. This conduct occurred during, despite Microsoft's assurances to the public and regulators that it would not make ZeniMax content exclusive. And in fact, it didn't. All right? I could still play Deathloop on my PlayStation. I can still play Ghostwire Tokyo on my PlayStation. I can still play a bunch of different games. Fallout 76 on my PlayStation. Microsoft CEO of Gaming, Phil Spencer, publicly explained the rationale for Microsoft's bait and switch as follows. This is about delivering great exclusive games for Xbox customers that ship on PlayStations where Game Pass exists. That's our goal. That's why we're doing this. That's the root of this partnership that we're building to sell Game Pass, that they, they want to have that business model succeed. It was a product differentiator. As long as we're giving credence to those, that's how Game Pass was differentiating itself from the PlayStation offerings, just like Nintendo differentiates itself with a portable docked form function and different kinds of games. That's what you do when you're in a marketplace is you differentiate yourself from your competitors. And I will say this, I will say this on Sony's behalf. There are videos on this channel where I say Microsoft was screwing up its messaging when they purchased ZeniMax. I think they were trying to play loosey-goosey with whether people could expect Starfield or whether people could expect other things. They didn't want to offend anybody until they lowered the hammer. And so there's a lot of modeled messaging when they go through that conversation point. I've I've, I've said that about them. I think they could have done it better. And I think Sony coming back, I wouldn't call it a bait and switch because I don't know that they were specific about what they even wanted to do when they had these assets. But I think that Sony is right to say Microsoft had one kind of tone and then that tone changed uh, from the start of the ZeniMax transaction to its end. Uh, and I think that that's worth noting. And I think that that's a mistake that Microsoft made. Phil Spencer's comments about Microsoft's Exclusive strategy for Bethesda's content are powerful evidence that Microsoft has the same playbook in mind for Activision. In fact, the decision finds that Microsoft's pursued its exclusivity strategy with content that is far less valuable than Activision's. The decision explains that this means Microsoft would have an even stronger incentive to make its content exclusive post-transaction. This is a compelling point that Microsoft does not address because this is flatly wrong. Okay, so folks, when you've got a game that is small, right? If you've got a game that is small and isn't going to make a ton of money on the Sony or the PlayStation, you use it. You bring it to your Game Pass platform. You bring it to your own. It doesn't cost you as much. When you talk about cost, it's not just dollars out the door. It's the dollars that you could have made that you lose. We call it opportunity cost in economics. If you take Call of Duty from PlayStation, PlayStation's really worried about getting its 30%. But remember, for its 30%, you're getting 70% if you own Call of Duty. So you have a very strong incentive. It might not be overpowering to wanting to make it exclusive to sell your Game Pass or what have you, but you have a very strong incentive to keep it available in that ecosystem. The bigger it is, it's worth more to you. You're spending almost $70 billion. You have to go get that return on investment back in some quarters. And some of that is going to be, hey, if we keep it on PlayStation, we're acting just like Activision. We're making the money that Activision would have made that kept them in business for as long as it did. A smaller business it is less costly. You lose less opportunity cost to pull it within your ecosystem. The CMA is exactly the opposite of what economics is here. 
And again, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Sony are abject morons. Sony knows that. This is a compelling point. Is BS somewhere, a Cleary Gottlieb lawyer wrote that sentence and said, okay, this is insane. This is ridiculous. They have enough wherewithal and self-awareness to say, nope, that's not the case. But since the CMA signaled that it would accept this kind of argument, you put it into the brief. You put it into the brief. But it is the exact opposite of what the CMA and now Sony is saying here. The bigger the company, the more costly it is to make it exclusive. The smaller, the less costly. That explains the entirety of what Microsoft might be doing. And it's exactly the opposite of that paragraph. Uh, let's see here, paragraph 12. We got footnote 24. This is about the ZeniMax, what they call the bait and switch. At the time, Microsoft told investors that it highly encouraged cross-platform play and that it did not have any intention of just pulling all Bethesda content out of Sony, which it didn't. Microsoft told the European Commission at the time that it would not have the incentive to cease or limit making Bethesda games available for purchase on rival consoles. And again, it didn't. This is the problem with talking in generalities, right? Microsoft still made Bethesda and ZeniMax content. You can still play Elder Scrolls Online on your PlayStation right now if you want to. You can still play Fallout 76. You can play Deathloop. You can play Ghostwire Tokyo. Um, and so I, what do you want to say about Microsoft? Microsoft said, we're going to put stuff on PlayStation. We're not going to just pull things off of it. They didn't just pull things off of it. And then they decided on a case-by-case -case basis what they would keep in-house. And Starfield is their big ticket item there. But here's a problem for Sony and Microsoft and the CMA and the EC and everyone else. No one knows how Starfield will do. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if Microsoft keeps Starfield off the market until after this is all done so that no one knows how Starfield does. In response to the CMA's analysis of its past conduct, Microsoft points to a single example from almost a decade ago of an acquired game that it did not make exclusive, Minecraft. But Minecraft is a completely different proposition to Call of Duty. It is a single release, virtually infinite game world that uses blocky graphics, has no required goals, and is already in users' hands. As a comparison of the difference in scope, to acquire Microsoft, Minecraft, Microsoft paid less than 5% of the price that Microsoft is offering to buy Activision. Again, Sony, this is how to lie with statistics. Let's talk about how Minecraft actually makes money now and what the size of it is now compared to Activision. The second highest selling game in the world with a lot of live services kind of features, places where people can put money into it. And on a live service, multi-platform, multiplayer basis, Microsoft decided to support it on the Sony console. That does have, and I don't think it's perfect. You can see a video in this very playlist where I say Minecraft and Call of Duty aren't a great lineup. I don't necessarily buy what Microsoft is selling there, it isn't as ridiculous as Sony's putting it here. Microsoft's conduct with Minecraft says nothing about its strategy with future versions of Call of Duty. For completeness, the decision reached its findings on Microsoft's incentives without placing significant weight on the economic incentives analysis developed by Cornerstone Research and RBB Economics. That analysis, based on data of annual spending of Call of Duty players on PlayStation, confirms and corroborates the CMA's findings on Microsoft's incentives. We found another random economic analysis that was also submitted. And you should check that out because they agree with us. If anything, this is a conservative because it finds a significantly lower critical switch rate, the share of users that would make a foreclosure strategy profitable for the Bethesda transaction than for Call of Duty in circumstances where Microsoft did in fact withhold future key Bethesda titles from PlayStation. Bethesda, we're talking about Call of Duty. Why, why, are, we, why are we talking about Bethesda? Lower, switch, lower critical switch rate for the Bethesda transaction than for Call of Duty and circumstances where Microsoft did in fact withhold. Yeah, the higher critical th switch rate would mean that they would be less inclined to make it exclusive. I, I would have to look at that report to give you better analysis of what in the world Sony is talking about there. But there is no question 
that Microsoft doesn't have no incentives to make Call of Duty exclusive. I want to be clear there. Microsoft pushes their argument too far on this. I've said that when I've looked at their documents. I've said that when I've analyzed Phil's comments or Sacha's or anyone else's. Microsoft goes too far by suggesting that they have no incentive to make it exclusive. That's a math question. At some level, making it exclusive will sell more Xboxes and sell more Game Passes. It will. But will it do that enough to justify getting rid of all the money they could have made by making it available on the PlayStation platform? That we don't know. And I suspect the answer is no, but it's an argument that you can have. The circumstance that in the recent console generation, Microsoft is somewhat behind Sony does not prevent anti-competitive effects from arising. Microsoft's third argument in theory of harm number one is that Sony is not vulnerable to a hypothetical foreclosure strategy because PlayStation has been the largest console platform for over 20 years. The circumstance that Microsoft is currently somewhat behind Sony in console sales does not mean that the transaction cannot harm competition and consumers. In reality, competition and consumers would be harmed in the short term and long term, so they assert. And I think broadly, this is right. You can still do things that restrain trade. You can still do things that are harmful to competition from the non-market leader position, but it is harder. It is harder to do that because you don't have market power over that particular market. Uh, and so Sony's got an uphill climb here. I do think the things that they quoted, I think Microsoft saying uh, that they're not vulnerable because PlayStation has been around for 20 years and has succeeded that long. That doesn't much matter. We're looking at market shares right now. Uh, I would have argued it differently where I in Microsoft shoes. I would say that it is a dynamic market that changes uh, all the time and that we see that reflected. I would point out exactly how it changes generation to generation and that that is not going to stop based on just one deal or one game. Uh, being available on one platform or another. First, PlayStation users would be immediately and seriously harmed by Microsoft's foreclosure strategy. PlayStation users are not the market. I'm sorry. You don't get special protection because they're your people. Specifically, PlayStation users who prefer playing Call of Duty on PlayStation would be harmed by being denied the opportunity to play Call of Duty on their device of choice, much like Final Fantasy. They would face two options, either to not play Call of Duty or to incur a cost of 450 pounds to buy an equivalent Xbox console and play Call of Duty on a less preferred device at a similar quality to the level they currently enjoy. <laughs> Okay, so anybody see the logical fallacy in that sentence? I'll give you a tip. I have an Xbox already. I have an Xbox and a PlayStation under my TV. So this isn't a mandate. A user that doesn't get it on PlayStation who might prefer it on PlayStation, they just really love trophies, would still be able to play it on their Xbox if they already had an Xbox. In the former case, consumers would self-evidently lose the opportunity to play one of their favorite games. In the latter case, in addition to paying for a new console that they would not have otherwise bought, those PlayStation users who sold their consoles in the process of switching would lose access to their current PlayStation content library. Which, by the way, if we're assuming they're not irrational actors, they would have valued for themselves as less valuable than the money they received in the trade-in. So who are you protecting, Sony? Causing further consumer harm. It isn't harm if they sell something for an amount of money that they accept in an arm's length transaction is more valuable than what they just sold. Either way, consumer choice would be restricted. And the result would be direct consumer harm. Just so we're clear, Sony, you're against consumer choice being restricted. This is good to know. I, you could piece together all these various sentences in this document and then just point out the 200 exclusives that PlayStation has uh, in any given year. But let's let's continue. Let's continue. This is already... Uh, completely wrong. This is this is not taking into account the universe of people that already have both consoles or that have a PC that could play Call of Duty. It might not be their favorite, but that's a massive reduction in harm than mandating that they buy a game on Xbox. It's worth noting Call of Duty is available on PC, right? Probably worth noting here. Second, Microsoft's foreclosure strategy would prevent Sony from competing for a large portion of console gamers reducing incentives to invest in innovation. PlayStation's and Xbox's incentives to invest in innovation and quality improvements depend on the number of customers that competition 
can attract. So we're talking specifically about the universe of people who only ever want to play Call of Duty, right? Let's see if Sony describes it that way. Microsoft's foreclosure strategy may lock in many consumers to Xbox, including existing Xbox users who play Call of Duty and those switching from PlayStation due to Call of Duty. These locked-in users would become less likely to switch in response to any pro-competitive actions on Sony's part. This would effectively prevent Sony from competing for the business of a large portion of console games. So you have to have an Xbox to play Call of Duty. Let's say that's the world in which we live. You have to have an Xbox to play Call of Duty. You have to have a PlayStation to play God of War Ragnarok. You have to have a PlayStation to play Horizon Forbidden West. You have to have a PlayStation to play Gran Turismo 7. Similarly, you have to play have a Microsoft Xbox to play Horizon, uh, Forza Horizon. And you have to have a Nintendo to play, oh, I don't know, Mario plus Rabbids, Sparks of Hope. There are plenty of games that are available only on one console or another. That doesn't prevent you from competing with them, just not on that game in particular. So Sony can continue to release games like God of War Ragnarok, and they will get some people. Switching is a incorrect kind of statement here. It's using economic parlance to try to talk about switching costs. And this is useful when you think about things like cell phones, right? Generally speaking, unless you're in Breaking Bad, you're not going to have multiple cell phones. So there is a question about what a switching cost is. Here, you can always get another unit. You can always get another item. And we're not really talking about ridiculously expensive consumer goods. You want to play Call of Duty on a in a world in which Microsoft has locked it down. I think they have the price of the Xbox Series S is 250 bucks. Now, I don't I don't want you to have to spend 250 bucks to play your favorite game. Sometimes life isn't fair. And this doesn't give Microsoft the ability to dominate the market, which is what we are ostensibly concerned about when we do this particular analysis. PlayStation, and we've seen this now in a number of their documents, they think your soul belongs to them. Obviously, the argument that consumers would be harmed by losing access to their PlayStation library when they sell it is ridiculous on its face, right? If they're only Call of Duty players, which is ostensibly all we're talking about here as being the ones that are locked in, etc., well, then they don't have much of a PlayStation library to speak of. But if they make the choice on their own, they aren't harming themselves unless you think they're irrational. And maybe you do, but that's saying something about your consumer base that you probably don't want to say in a legal document. Am I right, Sony? Please. While Sony could today hope to attract Xbox users who play Call of Duty, these consumers are unlikely to switch if Call of Duty becomes exclusive to Xbox. If Call of Duty is only available on Xbox, a whole group of players are never going to play on Sony. Maybe. That may represent X million customers or about X percent of Xbox's existing user base. Conservative estimates suggest that X percentage of PlayStation users would switch to Xbox in the short to medium term. These PlayStation switchers would represent an increase of X million consumers to the current Xbox user base or this percent of an increase. And again, here's the problem you have, Sony. As a regulator, if I'm sitting there judging this, I don't care if the second or third or fifth place mover in video gaming takes some of your market share. That is not what I'm supposed to be worried about. You have to get me to a place where the industry blows up. You have to get to me to a place where you die in a fire if I allow this to happen. And that doesn't appear to be what you're even arguing. Yes, a bunch of people will go from Sony to Xbox. Isn't that the idea? Isn't that competition? Isn't that what we want to have happen? I don't have to be an Xbox fan to think that that's still a good idea from the antitrust laws perspective. I don't have to be a Sony fan to think it's the opposite way. I don't have to be a Sony fan to say, man, you tell me that Destiny is going to be made available on all of these platforms, but you also just spent number of paragraphs saying contracts are wind and nobody's protected by contracts. So shouldn't Microsoft be more concerned that you're going to pull Destiny, which is a very successful first-person shooter? No, I don't think so. But your arguments would suggest that they should. 
Britt continues, players that only play one game on a console ever is like finding a unicorn, a dragon, or a person that can fly like Superman. They do not exist. I don't think so. And again, if you're trying to sell your system, it's probably not great to say players are only playing your system because of what a third party gives you. If you're that reliant on a third party that, by the way, could have gone bankrupt at any time after getting sued by California, well, then maybe things are just not right in Sony world, right? You're actually telling me a story of a very problematic product or service environment that if I'm an investor in your company, I'm looking at saying, is this really true? Now everybody can laugh and say, no, it's not true. We're just trying to get the regulators to do what we want. But if it were true, that is an enormously problematic position to have. Guys, I don't want to give you legal advice, but practical business advice. If you're that reliant on what amounts to a vendor, you're in trouble because anything can happen to vendors, including they can get bought out. Dorian Gray, amazing hearing Sony act weary of a foreclosure strategy when they are the company that used to buy studios and close them to keep content off Sega. Sony has been invested in a foreclosure strategy since its very existence. So this is a hard thing to read. Drawn TJ, if I'm government, I ask Sony, you don't make your games exclusive? Lol, what a joke. Screw Sony. Says Drawn TJ. It's not from me. From the Super Chat. But I can certainly understand getting to that level of vitriol. Steve Perry, Hogue, you're a legend. That's very nice of you to say, Steve. Thank you. Your coverage of this acquisition has gotten me interested in law as a second career. Yes. LSAT prep book is on my dining room table. I love that. Logic problems. Time will tell whether I should thank you or curse you for that. Winky emoji. I loved law school. I loved law school. I love a lot of aspects of practice. I'll be the first to tell you not all practice is perfect. Work is work. That's why you get paid. Uh, but yeah, if I can be of any help, email me uh, and we'll chat. That is awesome. That is awesome. I love to hear it. Law is fun. Law is the rules in which the society kind of uh, organizes itself around. Percolator 9000. Hello, Hogue. Quick question. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. We're only about two hours in. When Xbox was buying ZeniMax the whole time, the regulators were quiet. Not quiet exactly, but they allowed it. No regulators said anything. I don't understand why we get so much more information about the Activision deal. Well, one is order magnitude, right? We cannot overestimate the difference in magnitude here. Uh, in terms of gaming acquisitions, it was about a week before Xbox announces its purchase of Activision in January this year that Take-Two purchased Zynga. And I want to say that number, I've got a video here in virtual reality, is at about $12 billion. And that was the largest acquisition in gaming history. And then about a week later, Microsoft announces a $68 billion transaction. So this was always going to get phase two. You have many quotes from me in this playlist saying, hey, anybody that's got a phase two is going to phase two because of size alone, because it's eye-opening. You say, if you're spending that much money, that in a lot of industries would mean you're buying the whole darn industry, right? Video gaming is enormous, so that's not the case. But in a lot of different industries, that would mean that you've, you're taking a 90% market share or something. Now, now, we know that's not the case here. Uh, but it still is eye-opening and it still means regulators, well, they want to regulate. They want to assert their power. If we're being totally giving the benefit of the doubt, uh, then they want to do it for good. They want to prevent people from getting hurt by combinations of corporations. And we see people get hurt by those sometimes, certainly. Uh, and they want to do their job. Uh, but it was always eye-opening enough that they were going to look at this. And honestly, ZeniMax wasn't. Zynga really wasn't. And Bungie, which Sony purchased for a few billion dollars. Uh, also wasn't. So size matters because size is going to suggest that there's market power changing hands and that's always going to get regulators interested. All right, let's keep going. Between them, PlayStation and Xbox have approximately 205 million total users. Between them. Again, uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're overcounting because there are people that own multiple systems. 
even without considering those Xbox users who may be unlikely to switch for other reasons, for example, users heavily engaged with Halo or other existing or upcoming Microsoft exclusives, we could only come up with Halo. We don't really know what people play on Xbox. The two Call of Duty-driven FX described above would potentially put as many as a bunch of extra people uh, across PlayStation and Xbox out of Sony's reach. People that move to play Call of Duty on Xbox are out of Sony's reach. This is suggestive of a barrier in the video game industry that flatly does not exist. Then, with its closest competitors significantly weakened and having captured a substantial proportion of console users. Significantly weakened, by the way, does not mean weak. Sony is the market leader across the world. Microsoft would have the ability to increase prices or otherwise reduce the quality of its offering. I laughed at this the first time. But Sony actually, in the shadow of raising prices on their systems, going out there with this argument, is the height of either irony or hypocrisy or unbelievability or whatever else you want to frame this as Sony is literally using its market position to increase the prices right now has this quarter in order to do that. They have to have market power. And then they accuse Microsoft of winning the war so badly that Sony is going to have to prevent itself from being competitive with Microsoft such that Microsoft raises its prices and cackles all the way. Third, direct and indirect network effects would exacerbate the anti-competitive effects of Microsoft's foreclosure strategy, the ISN decision, that's the issue statement for anybody that's new on the channel, and decision identifies strong direct and indirect network effects. Gaming platforms become more attractive to gamers the more other gamers are on them. Certainly multiplayer games, that's right. Accordingly, the loss of a substantial number of Call of Duty players would be likely to induce further switching to Xbox by users who want to continue playing with their friends, either Call of Duty or another title. Okay, so... Yes, you want to play with your friends. Um, you could go to Xbox. So this is you're going to gather people that don't just want to play Call of Duty. But if they don't just want to play Call of Duty, are they really going to abandon their PlayStation? Especially if they're playing their PlayStation right now. I don't know what kind of rates you're getting at your GameStop for trading these things in. Uh, but I don't think you're just abandoning the PlayStation brand because one of your favorite games goes to a different system. But again, I'm not the market. I'm not going to sit here and tell you. I'm the only way that you can view these kind of video game questions. And certainly somebody out there is going to be motivated to get rid of their PlayStation and go to Xbox. The question is, is that anti-competitive or is that the height of competition? In addition, without Call of Duty users, the potential audience for PlayStation games would be irreparably reduced. Irreparably? You can't find another way to bring in customers? And the potential returns for developers of PlayStation games would be greatly diminished. This, in turn, would reduce the incentives for these third-party developers to develop new titles for PlayStation, further reducing its quality vis-a-vis -vis Xbox, thereby inducing further switching away from PlayStation by users, and thereby making the platform even less attractive to developers. <laughs> okay, so at some level, this argument is true. Like, at some level of customer base, it gets so low that developers won't make things for you, like the, I don't know, the, the, the Wii or the Ouya, uh, or, or maybe Google Stadia. <laughs> Something like that. At some level, it's non-viable as a product. But but this, whenever you have to write this kind of then statement for like four things down the line, patently absurd. So we lose Call of Duty. Xbox takes a market leader position. Fewer people are willing to make games for PlayStation. Probably true on the margins because there's more people on Xbox land now. This is exactly what Microsoft is dealing with with Sony right this second, by the way. Uh, fewer developers work for us. And so now they're going to make worse things. They reduce the quality vis-a-vis -vis the Xbox. First of all, third-party developers have every incentive to make multi-platform titles. In fact, that's what we're talking about today. So chances are they're still going to make a port for PlayStation and Xbox because the price of making a port for the PlayStation is still going to de defend whatever PlayStation customers are going to get that thing. So probably people that are just interested in third-party development like that 
still going to get the products that they want. This is hilarious to me, but not hilarious in a funny way. Hilarious in a way that I can see a regulator going for this kind of argument, but it's again absurd for the reality of what we've observed in the video game industry for three decades. That's just not what's going to happen until you get to such a low level of consumer uptake that it just blows up. And even then, if you look at something like the Wii U, you can still do better on the next generation or do better with other brand differentiation or, or, or changes. Nintendo continues to survive on that. You just don't want to be Nintendo, Sony. That's fine. Fourth, Microsoft's foreclosure strategy would cause Sony to lose significant revenues, diminishing its ability to fund further investment. We wouldn't be able to make as many games without Call of Duty money. Sounds like a personal problem. PlayStation users that play Call of Duty generated about X percent of total spending on hardware, peripheral subscription games, and other PlayStation services. Again, this is unfair. I play Call of Duty. Call of Duty is not a driver for me, but everything I spent on PlayStation in the last, let's say, three days, they have their Black Friday sale. I'm a sucker. Uh, in the last three days, goes into the Call of Duty bucket, which is insanity. Nothing's going to happen to my PlayStation if Call of Duty suddenly isn't available on that system. The loss of all or a significant portion of those users, together with their associated revenues and profits, would severely diminish Sony's ability and incentive to invest in future hardware innovative and gaming technologies. You lose market share and you're no longer in the leader position and you have had your incentive to compete reduced. This goes against every single economic treatise and the reason the antitrust laws are written the way they are. So maybe Sony, maybe you're discovering a new novel economics uh, environment that you can tell us all about in the video game industry. But in general, if you lose market share and you're not completely destitute, which you aren't, and you're good at making something, you do it harder. You innovate, you lower prices, you compete. It's competition, folks. It's competition. We're going to focus on this cornerstone research and R&B economics estimate that there'll be some switching rates. And this would in turn also reduce the potential return on producing innovative first party games thereby diminishing Sony's ability and incentive to invest in new games. Sony, you just told us how important it was to look at a dynamic and not static market. That was such a big deal to you, and I think you're right. But the dynamism here has to apply to you as well. Your incentive to make good games is to attract people. And if you make a good game, you'll attract people of all stripes, even people that like Call of Duty. And so your incentive isn't reduced. It is, in fact, heightened because now you have a more voracious competitor against you. Fifth, Microsoft statements on user numbers are unreliable. Oh, not only are our statements true, not only are our statements not self-serving, theirs are bunk. For completeness, Microsoft cites inaccurate figures on the relative positions of PlayStation and Xbox. Microsoft claims that even if all of PlayStation's MAUs that play Call of Duty left PlayStation, PlayStation would still be left with significantly more MAUs than Xbox. This does not accord with our data. In 2021, there were on average, and we can't read this because this is all math, uh, but that is a fight that you can actually look at if you're the CMA and quantitate right? Microsoft says, if we take everyone that plays Call of Duty, you're still fine. And Sony says we're not. PlayStation will be left with far fewer MAUs than Xbox before taking into account the direct and indirect network effects that would exacerbate switching, which we can't count because that's impossible to count. Finally, Microsoft seeks to distract from the foreclosure strategy by suggesting that SIE engages in conduct, which is reflective of its market power because SIE recently increased the price of PlayStation consoles. Yep. Sony strongly disputes this claim. Great. That has about as much effect as Michael Scott yelling bankruptcy. Sony's decision to increase the recommended retail price of PlayStation 5 reflected adverse currency trends, supply shortages, and global inflation. That is the why of it, at least as you put forth, not the ability. Microsoft, for its part, has recently hinted at upcoming price increases for Xbox consoles and Game Pass. Yes, Phil Spencer has said that they can't stay the same price forever, which is accurate. 
there's going to be a day when Game Pass goes up in price. They're a user acquisition model. Sony, Sony, this might be your worst paragraph yet. Sony disputes the claim because we did it for currency trend supply shortage and global inflation. The fact that you had a reason to doesn't mitigate the fact that you were able to, right? If you don't have market power, you cannot increase the price of your good and expect a higher return. And the only reason you increase the price of your good is to get a higher return. You don't think you're going to get less money out of that action or else you're an idiot running your firm. You think you're going to get more money. That is proven true as far as we can tell on the outside, which is evidence in and of itself of your market power. And more problematically for you is evidence of market power that antitrust regulators use to establish market power. They call it the SNP test. <laughs> and that test says, what would happen if you raise the price of your goods? Would you make more money? Would you have a rational incentive to do that? Sony, you just proved that you do. You just proved to the world that you have that market power. So you can dispute that claim all you want. The numbers are against you. And this makes you look like an idiot for trying. But I understand if you're going to put sentences throughout your document that say they could raise their prices, that it doesn't look great that you engaged in $100, 100-pound huge increases in the price of your product across the world, except in the one jurisdiction where Xbox actually proves a viable market competitor. That would be my hometown, the United States. So you've got a problem of your own doing because you're crazy to do that move in the midst of this ask. But that ain't my problem, is what the regulators should say. Will they say that? I don't know. All right. We're taking a breath. Let's read some super chats. Let's read some other chats. Flag it with Hoglaw. Flag it with question. I know I haven't caught everybody. Like I said, I get into I get into talking about these things. Brett says, why should they compete with the peons that are number two in the race? You know number two is the first loser. They cannot be number two. They have to be number one forever. That's what a lot of this sounds like. That's what a lot of this, this sounds like most definitely. Sony, the sky is falling. The sky is falling, says Katie. Just laughing from All Might and Sofa King. Yeah, I think it's a laughable argument. Didn't Sony say they raised the price because of the premium product? I haven't heard that, Kevin. If that is the case, I haven't seen that one. No, currency exchange is the greatest reason, but it's not like every other industry on earth that 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 services a multinational kind of jurisdiction isn't dealing with currency exchange problems, isn't dealing with supply shortages, isn't dealing with um, over demand for uh, logistics services. Uh, that all of them are dealing with it, but only a few of them can just raise the prices to cover it because the other ones are involved in competitive markets. PlayStation appears to not be. PlayStation wouldn't try that in those various jurisdictions if they thought Xbox was a viable competitor. And so Sony didn't do it in the one jurisdiction where they are a viable competitor, the United States. Uh, and there's certain aspects of currency exchange that don't apply when you're talking about American dollars. So they have at least some cover for that. But the fact that they have reasons for doing what they did doesn't take away at all from the fact that they thought, and it looks like they were right, they had the market power to do that and make more money at the higher price. That is the test for market power, and Sony has it. And Xbox probably doesn't, but we'll see uh, in the long term, because eventually prices will go up. Um, I don't know why Elizabeth Young is mentioning the 3DO, but just based on the mention, I will say the 3DO is one of my favorite unsung systems, and it did bring me Star Control 2, which is my favorite game of all time. Y'all should check it out. Star Control 2. Absolutely fantastic stuff. Uh, hello, everyone. This is Stacy. Hello, Stacy. Welcome. We got 1,250 people here while we take a break. I catch my breath a little bit before we go to Theory of Harm number two. Uh, so if you are one of those 1,250, if you haven't liked the video yet, please do. YouTube loves that. YouTube also loves comments. If you want to leave early comments, just say, hi, this is a comment. Rick asked me to send it two hours and two minutes into the video. So put that comment. YouTube will love it. 
and all of that helps, certainly. If you have any other questions, at Hoaglaw. Uh, if you have any other questions, Super Chats. All those things work to get my attention. Questioning Capitals works as well. I can't promise I'll hit them all um, because I don't see them all, uh, but I really appreciate it. Uh, Star Control 2 is such a classic reference, maybe even historical. Star Control 2, favorite game of all time. Absolutely. King Darkus says, this is amazing. Thank you, Hogue. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Sephiroth says, this is juicy. Shouldn't Sony be required to allow Final Fantasy and other exclusives to also be cross-platform on day one as well if they get their wish to block this transaction? It's not how this works, unfortunately. Uh, and the regulators have their highest power during a transaction or a proposed transaction. Um, in terms of contract exclusives, not going to run into trouble unless Microsoft wants to sue over them. They are restraints of trade. Are they illegal restraints of trade? I would argue no. I would be on Sony's side of that, but I could certainly understand, excuse me, an angry Microsoft that would make a suit like that one. Miasma says, how's that Microsoft Sony memorandum of understanding doing going now? <laughs> mm. Yeah, I'm sure they're not thrilled about the conversations that they've had about Azure and everything else. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, It's probably not the warmest of conference room tables between Microsoft and Sony, although you will find, interestingly enough, even rivals in an industry, even companies that hate each other or advertise against each other, oftentimes the actual people that make up those companies can interact just fine. They're in the same business after all. You still go to the bar together. You still go and you sit around and you deal with the same crap together. Uh, and oftentimes you can relate to one another because of the crap that you have to go through. All right. All right, folks. Oh, we do have some ad hoc laws. Let's, let's get those. I, I, I promise those. I don't want to make super chats this mandatory. Could regulators say, hey, Sony, all these things you say are bad, you do. We need to look at you now. Not really. It can be the case that some regulators will act unilaterally against things that are just kind of of the restraint of trade variety. Uh, but it's a lot less often uh, than dealing with mergers and acquisitions. Like this is an inflection point since Sony used that term uh, where regulators really do look at things very closely. And the industry has operated on exclusives and exclusive contracts for a long time. And that has often, and I think rightly, been seen as a matter of competing. That you go and you sign that up, you're trying to do something to fight against uh, Sega or fight against Super Nintendo all the way up through now uh, that you're trying to make it more attractive for somebody to buy your console. And that's competing for the market share uh, with other people. Uh, so it's certainly the case that it doesn't do anything great for consumers as a whole uh, because a Super Nintendo fan ostensibly doesn't care that they're the only ones that get to play the game. And a Sega Genesis fan doesn't, doesn't like that they don't get to play the game. Uh, so it's not great for consumers on that level, but it might be great for consumers that have two viable companies competing for their attention and dollars on a general level. That's kind of how the antitrust laws work. Uh, so no, the regulators aren't likely to do that. Can Microsoft sue Sony for the way they are behaving? Unlikely. Um, these are, again, solicited comments from regulators. Sony's just answering them. They're answering them, I think, kind of idiotically and self-servingly, but they're just answering questions that regulators have asked. Luke asks, what would happen if only the FTC approved the deal? It depends on the manner in which the European Union and the UK didn't approve the deal. Again, the FTC doesn't approve deals. Uh, the, the FTC just allows deals, but it looks like the FTC is going to ask for concessions. So the way that works is the FTC is going to block the deal or say they have enough to block the deal, have a lawsuit ready, and then they have to negotiate a settlement. Uh, it's a consent decree uh, with Microsoft for what they're willing to give to allow the deal to go through. Uh, and the same would be the UK and the EU. If th any of those jurisdictions just decided to straight up block, I think Microsoft would probably sue over it because Microsoft has $3 billion on the line and that can pay for a lot of lawyers' hours. Uh, and that $3 billion is owed to Activision. It can be between 2 and $3 billion depending on when this were to go down early next year. Uh, but it can be between those amounts and Microsoft has enough of its money on the line that they could get feisty over it because 
3 billion, I know it's not going to change Microsoft's fate, but it's a lot of money. And more importantly, it can pay for a lot of legal time that you can justify to try to not spend and not get the assets that you want, because that's just $3 billion burned in a fire. So it's a lot of variables and we kind of have to see how this goes down. But if there is a real block and they don't win, I think the deal does. Is it common for a regulatory body, the CMA in this case, to significantly backtrack on their initial findings? I don't know if I would say common. I would say that there are certainly phase twos um, that don't find the adverse conditions that the phase one thought they might find. Um, but yeah, I think there's a real worry that essentially it's just going to be rubber stamping this. That's why the tweet from the European uh, Commission uh, individual was so deeply problematic is that there's a lot of companies out there that basically think that this is just a rubber stamp process when you get to phase two, when it's not supposed to be that. The law specifically says it's not. Um, but there, there's thoughts that that uh, does in fact happen. And when you have a regulator go out there and say the European Commission is going to find this, is going to do this, uh, when they haven't even done their real investigation, that's that's an issue. Uh, so I think all of these regulators are going to find a substantial listing of competition and ask for concessions. The question is whether they are reasonable or not. Because Microsoft is willing to give a bunch of concessions, including availability of Call of Duty. But will those be reasonable? I can't promise one way or the other. <laughs> Hope, do you find out when these documents drop based on the amount of Twitter notifications? Yeah, I'll say that. I wasn't planning to do a video today. I got hundreds of Twitter notifications. So, huh, better look into what this is. Uh, and so I decided to do this document and not also the 111 pages because I just can't do that. Uh, but we might make some kind of video out of it. I assume Microsoft is just going to stick with their with their earlier tack. Question, so Sony doesn't want Microsoft to have first-party exclusivity, but they have it with Spider-Man, God of War, Horizon, and also third-party ones like Final Fantasy? Yep, that's their line of argument. Do with it what you will. <laughs> Sony lawyers sound like they didn't do their research on their own company's operating procedures. Um, mm, they probably did do research. I will say that there probably aren't gamers on the team, uh, which is a potential problem. One of the things that I actually was kind of secretly good at at, uh, at Big Law Life was knowing a lot more about software and technology and video games than a lot of the uh, a lot of the older senior partners. Uh, and so you can get in there and and have things that are a little bit more directed. Uh, at a big law firm, and I'm not clear, Gottlieb is a great law firm, so you're not going to hear me say different on that. Uh, at a big law firm, you've got so many different and disparate clients and doing so many disparate, different and disparate things. Sometimes you have kind of a more boilerplate approach and you can't fully direct things to what's actually happening within a given industry. Now, I don't think that's necessarily the case here. I think this is driven by what Sony wants to say. Uh, but yeah, it's not always perfect when you're representing a client on a corporate level. Stitch 6669, if the deal gets locked by Sony, do you think Activision will retaliate against Sony no longer providing any more deals to them or in any other way? So Activision as a company would still have an incentive to make their games available on Sony. So they can't just scuttle their existence. Um, and so I think Sony would realize that. Could Microsoft spend enough to buy exclusives on these games? Maybe. It might be inviting another lawsuit. Hmm. I don't know. I, I don't think Activision would hold a grudge because they can't afford to. I think Microsoft would, uh, but it's not as obvious exactly how they would operate. It's clear that Phil Spencer and Microsoft are not as gung-ho on temporary exclusivity as their brethren at Sony. Uh, and so I think they're burned a little bit by things like the, I think it was the rise of Tomb Raider that they did it on, the second one, uh, with Crystal Dynamics and Square Enix. Um, and so I, I don't think they're inclined to go that direction but they would be sitting on a bundle of money and deciding what to do with it. So that can look bad depending on if you're in Sony's shoes or not. 
<laughs> All right. Let's continue on with theory of harm number two. I think we only have about five pages left. I know it says 12 of 22, but there's all those redacted pages at the end. Theory of harm number two, input foreclosure of rival multi-game subscription services. So remember, theory of harm number one was you're going to kill the console market, which I think is the worst argument that the CMA makes. Theory of harm number two is, is Game Pass a separate market? Because if it is, then our strongest argument, this is truly the CMA's strongest argument, is that putting Call of Duty only on Game Pass and specifically not on PlayStation, but here Sony's going to advance this, I believe, and say not on PlayStation Plus is a way for Game Pass to take over this brand new market that is different and distinct from buying games either in brick and mortar or buying them digitally, that this is not a substitutable market, which I think is wrong. I said this a number of times in this playlist. I think subscription services and cloud gaming services are business models within the market of the distribution of video games. And that if you cut that too thinly, you're going to have some deleterious effects on these various markets. We talked about that a lot in Epic versus Apple, which is that where you set the market determines whether there's a regulatory problem. If we say all leisure pursuits, Microsoft clearly not a monopolist in all leisure pursuits. We say Xboxes. <laughs> Microsoft is clearly a monopolist provider of Xboxes. So those are both markets that don't work for an antitrust analysis. Now we're fighting about whether it's game distribution, which I think Microsoft is safe on because they clearly don't monopolize or have inordinate market power in the overall distribution of video games. We, so we shorten that to console video games. And now what the CMA wants to do here is say that it is not just console video games. It is actually this delivery mechanism, multi-game subscription services, that is its own market separate and distinct from the other ways that you might get games. I think that's wrong. I think that loses in court in the United States. I can't speak to the UK or the European Union on that. But I think that's a loser. But it is the strongest argument they have because if they can get that market, they probably have a point that Microsoft is big enough on Game Pass as against PlayStation Plus, the multi-game multi subscription service side of PlayStation Plus that this could look like a monopolistic type behavior. Under theory of harm two, the issue statement and decision explained that Microsoft would have the ability and incentive to lessen its current and future competition in multi-game subscription services. The basis of this theory of harm is as follows. Activision's content is equally important to multi-game subscription services as it is to consoles. While Activision's content is not available today on multi-game subscription services as demand grows, Activision would likely make that content available on multiple multi-game subscription services absent the transaction. Post-transaction, however, the decision finds that Microsoft would have the ability and the incentive to make Activision's content exclusive to Game Pass and not release it on other multi-game subscription services. Microsoft does not contest these findings in its response to the decision. Yeah, they had a future-looking statements contesting in their document. So I don't know if that's fully an accurate characterization, but they're not specific on this point. So we'll allow it from Sony. So here, Sony has one early hurdle to find, and that is that Call of Duty isn't on game subscription services right now. Uh, and so they have to go with the CMA and say, well, they probably would have been in the future. Maybe, maybe not. Interestingly enough, Sony has deliberately said that AAA gaming doesn't work in subscription services spaces. That's the reason why they're keeping God of War Ragnarok and all their other AAA games that they intend to release off their own subscription service. So actually going out to a regulator and saying that surely Activision's main AAA, irreplaceable, crazy good, crazy popular game must appear on a service and must appear on both that we're going to talk about here is an interesting line of reasoning. <laughs> Again, in this particular circumstance, Sony shot itself in the foot over years of statements on this stuff. Sony, you know, you come to the hearing 
And why is it that you don't share God of War Ragnarok on your PlayStation Plus service? But we don't think it justifies the expense used in investing in a AAA game. Oh, okay. And why is Call of Duty irreplaceable? Well, it's because Call of Duty costs so much, they have to spend so much and use so much manpower to make that game come out. Okay. So you think then that Call of Duty would be justified to appear on a subscription service while not including your own games on that same subscription service? Uh, what does Sony do with that? Sony can make these assertions because they're not being challenged on them directly, but these assertions are ridiculous on their face. On the contrary, Microsoft has publicly made clear that one of its main rationales for the transaction is to differentiate Game Pass from rival multi-game subscription services by making Activision's content available on Game Pass and no other multi-game subscription service, including PlayStation Plus, which didn't actually exist as PlayStation Plus when these statements were made. The anti-competitive effect of this strategy would be profound. Game Pass already holds a strong position in multi-game subscription services with its competitors significantly smaller, lacking the popularity and range of content that Game Pass would own post-merger. Multi-game subscription services are a nascent market exhibiting both direct and indirect network effects. Combining Game Pass, the leading incumbent with Activision's important gaming catalog could, in the decision's words, substantially reduce competition, raise barriers to entry, reduce the number of competitors to only one or a few providers, and significantly increase Microsoft's market power. The transaction would thereby deprive consumers of strong competition in multi-game subscription services that would have played out absent Microsoft's foreclosure strategy. Look, again, Sony, it's not my fault that you didn't believe multi-game subscription services would work until Microsoft proved that they would years ago while they were brand differentiating in order to survive what was a very successful Sony PlayStation 4 generation. We want that innovation. That is what competition leads to. And again, I think this is a strong argument if and only if Game Pass subscription services in general is a separate market from any other way that you can get a video game. If it is not, if there are substitutes, oh, that game isn't available on Game Pass, so I'll go buy it over here. That game isn't available on Game Pass, so I'll go get PlayStation Plus. Whatever it is, if there are not substitutes, then it's a market. If there are, then it's not. And both subscription services and cloud-based gaming seem to fall on this test. Uh, and that's what I would expect to see in a judicial determination uh, if it were to come to one in the United States. Sony agrees with the decision's findings, which are based on a cogent and compelling body of evidence. You're so smart. That rests on the principle set out in the CMA's guidelines and recent case law that particular care is needed to protect nascent competition. Sony notes the following. Game Pass leads PlayStation Plus significantly. Microsoft already has a substantial lead in multi-game subscription services. Game Pass has 29 million subscribers to Xbox Game Pass console and Xbox Game Pass Ultimate and is expected to grow substantially in the future. The multi-game subscription tiers of PlayStation Plus considerably lag with fewer than X number of subscribers. Now, Sony, 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 I love you, Boobaloo. PlayStation Plus's game subscription tiers started this summer. Also, notably, even though it's only a few months old, Sony has gone out there and promised people that they are not going to get the main games that Sony releases because it doesn't match their economic viability model. They want the money. They want the Skrilla, as some lawyers might otherwise say in this context. And so comparing these things is kind of flatly uh, wrongheaded in the first instance. They're not selling the same kind of product, but also... Also, your comparison doesn't even take into account the time lag between Game Pass arriving years ago and your product or service offering uh, coming months ago. Sony's documents attest to the danger of Call of Duty becoming exclusive to Game Pass. Sony's contemporaneous documents corroborate the decision's analysis of the danger of Activision content becoming exclusive to Game Pass. A February 2022 document states that Sony's contemporaneous documents corroborate the danger that we're saying. I'm very glad that your own documents corroborate yourselves. It's very good, Sony. I'm, I'm happy that you're not like uh, bipolar on this. Industry sources have also recognized that with Activision, Microsoft is one gigantic step closer to game subscription dominance. 
Industry sources. What are you quoting there? The Verge. <laughs> January 19th, by the way. Notable, by the way, for being months before Sony would even deign to enter into this market. So it's not just the time component of the growth. It's that they are claiming anti-competitive effects. They're claiming nefarious intent when Sony wasn't involved in that particular market, if it is to be treated as a separate market itself. Now, would you say Sony was still involved in selling video games and video game systems? I surely would, because Game Pass and subscription services are a model. They're a piece of the pie. They aren't a separate marketplace in and of themselves. Independent surveys confirm the profound effect of Call of Duty being included on Game Pass. An independent YouGov survey, love to see the actual statistical significance there, from January 2022, found that including Call of Duty on Game Pass would have a profound impact on gamer preferences for multi-game subscription services, 46% of PlayStation gamers in the U.S. indicated that if Call of Duty were available on Game Pass, they would consider subscribing. Okay, so first of all, Sony, your main piece of evidence is a YouGov survey from January. Notably, January, not a month in which Sony had any kind of competitive subscription service. It's a YouGov survey, so we've got statistical uh, usefulness already involved with that particular question. And then, and then the actual question poses, would they consider it? Guys, I honestly, I honestly got to tell you, 46% is low for consider, right? If I get a new state of affairs for anything, I'm considering it. Okay, well, maybe I would go and get Game Pass. Maybe not. Maybe not. But that's a consideration. It's not a yes or no kind of scenario. And developers would also be harmed by unequal access to Call of Duty on multi-game subscription services. Excluding access to Call of Duty on PlayStation Plus would also negatively impact independent game developers. Independent developers would likely receive worse terms for their content from Microsoft once Microsoft had become the dominant multi-game subscription service. Reduced returns could in turn diminish independent developers' ability and incentive to invest in high-quality new games, causing video games to become lower quality, less immersive, and driven by disruptive in-app purchases. This in turn would harm consumers yet further. Yes, you need a competitor to Game Pass in order for all these things to be true, and yet... There wasn't a competitor to Game Pass until this summer. It's amazing that Game Pass grew to be as successful as it was, probably by giving high-quality content for low prices that consumers saw as value. It's interesting to imagine why they wouldn't do that when Sony has arrived and Sony could be killed as a subscription service, but it didn't do that beforehand. Now, look, on the Sony side of things, or at least on the non-Microsoft side of things, I told you this was a strong argument because... If Microsoft does take a dominant position in subscription services, then yes, they are going to be offering better for Microsoft deals to developers. There aren't going to be other people negotiating against them for whatever is going to be on Game Pass. They control in the market that particular situation. You could have a bad situation for developers. That said, developers aren't consumers. And so you have to also ask the question, will that hit the consumer welfare kind of level? Because again, they, they posit that game developers will make less high quality games. Maybe, maybe not. But certainly Game Pass provides a pricing avenue for consumers that gets them more games and more in the door than they might otherwise with the pure buying model. And so Microsoft continues to go out there and say, well, we're, we're competing on pricing, not just on quality. If that is in fact the case, consumer welfare is supposed to be both. It's supposed to be lower prices, higher quality. Either way, you can get to a place where consumer welfare is higher. And it's difficult to see exactly how consumer welfare is lessened overall by Call of Duty being made available on Game Pass. Even if it's exclusively made available on Game Pass, nobody's losing anything for it not being available on PlayStation Plus, especially if Call of Duty is available to buy on PlayStation. Nobody's world has changed except that there's an avenue to getting it cheaper. In response to the CMA's evidence, Microsoft advances three main arguments. None is persuasive. First, Microsoft argues that multi-game subscription services are not a market, but a means of payment. This misses the point. It does not. Multi-game subscription services are more than a means of payment. They are an alternative to buy to play, 
that allows consumers to access a broad library of video game content through a different payment model. That's tautological. That is what it is. They can also influence consumers' choice of hardware and cloud gaming service, where the multi-game subscription service in question is compatible with only certain hardware or other services. Uh-huh. They can also influence consumers' choice of hardware and cloud gaming services, where the multi-game subscription service in question is compatible only with certain hardware or other services. Game Pass is not only compatible with Xbox. This is trying to have your cake and eat it too from Sony. This is not a viable argument about whether or not it's a market. The, the nature of a market in economics and antitrust uh, regulation is whether or not there are viable substitutes, that it's easy enough to go and substitute for the specific product or service here. Uh, Game Pass is eminently substitutable through buy-to-play uh, and cloud gaming even, or other things that might exist in the future that the CMA and us don't know about. It's not a market is absolutely 100% true. And it does not miss the point. And in fact, Sony tries to essentially confuse you with a juggler and some shiny bits over here in this paragraph because they don't actually argue that it is a market. They just talk about the fact that it's an effective feature within a market, right? Okay, Game Pass subscription services in general are useful for selling consoles. That's right, but we're not supposed to be talking about selling consoles here. That was theory of harm number one. We're in theory of harm number two, Sony. We're talking about specifically whether Game Pass itself is a market separate and distinct from video gaming on the whole, and Microsoft says it is, and they have Brazil to back them up. They also have Hogue to back them up. I don't think Hogue's going to be appearing in any of these documents anytime soon. But they have reason to believe under economic analysis and decades of antitrust jurisprudence that there isn't a great argument that Game Pass subscription service is a separate market from video games overall. And then you don't really argue that. You just say, but Game Pass is pretty effective at bringing people into console sales. Yeah. I imagine you think that PlayStation VR 2 is going to be pretty effective at bringing PlayStation console sales. Now, I think you priced it uh, obnoxiously, so I don't think that's actually going to happen for you. Much to my chagrin, I love VR. Uh, but that's, a, that's, a, that's, again, competition. That's differentiation. That's brand push. And you're, you're not making any sense, Sony. And this is the most important thing that you had to argue. In this entire section, you had to argue that it was a separate market, that there wasn't viable substitutability, that it was something that was co effectively completely different. You had to argue that, and you just skipped it with distractions and shiny bits. Accordingly, there is a competitive interaction between buy-to-play and multi-game subscription services and a competitive relationship between a consumer's decision to subscribe to a given multi-game subscription service and his or her choice of console, mobile device, PC, and or cloud gaming service. Both relationships and sets of effects merit review. Sony therefore considers it appropriate for the CMA to examine the effect of the transaction on multi-game subscription services separate from its assessment of the transaction's effect on consoles and cloud gaming. Again, you're not saying anything here. Game services, subscription services are a useful feature that helps sell things is not the slaying move that you think it is, Sony. You don't appear to have a rational argument to suggest this market differentiation, which makes me suspect of the whole thing even more than I was to start out with. If I'm reading this closely as a regulator, I'm saying, oh, they don't got anything on this. Second, Microsoft claims that there are not facts anywhere to support the assertion that Activision's content strategy under which no multi-game subscription service receives preferential treatment would change post-transaction. Microsoft may claim there are no facts, but the CMA finds that its internal documents tell a different story. The decision cites multiple Microsoft documents highlighting incentives to foreclose competitors. The CMA's characterization of these documents suggests they are consistent with the economic incentives analysis undertaken by Cornerstone Research and RBB Economics. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Did you, did you get confused? Is this the second half of a different paragraph? I don't know what happened here, folks. Let's break this down. So the first sentence says, Microsoft claims there's no evidence anywhere that Activision would be putting its games on subscription services, right? 
There are, Microsoft claims that Activision's content strategy under which no multi-game subscription service receives preference statement would change post-transaction. That we're not going to do anything with subscription services. But Microsoft's documents tell a different story. So that doesn't appear to be what Microsoft was discussing here, at least as summarized. And I'm really lost as to what Sony is aimed at on this. Remember, there's that point where in order to get to this issue, Activision has to be willing to put its game, Call of Duty, on subscription services. They have to say that's a fait accompli in order to even get to this kind of conversation. And I said, well, that's not really the truth. Sony itself doesn't put its really expensive games on because they're really expensive games and they don't think the economics line up. So Activision could easily follow the same approach that Sony does. Microsoft appears to be saying, yeah, there's nothing in Activision's documents to suggest they would have on their own gone to a subscription service. So there can't be harm here because the counterfactual, the world in which we don't buy Activision doesn't change. It doesn't get it on PlayStation Plus suddenly. So what are we even talking about? Then Sony comes in and says Microsoft's documents tell a different story where they might foreclose it from PlayStation Plus. That is, of course, true. Microsoft doesn't want it on PlayStation Plus. Microsoft wants it on Game Pass as a differentiator for its markets. And so I don't know what this paragraph does. Does anybody else have anything on this paragraph in the chat? Because I think the back half of this paragraph is answering a different question than the front half is asking. Eh, anyway. Paragraph 38, Microsoft's argument that Activision's content does not feature today in multi-game subscription services is misconceived. Today, no multi-game subscription service has an advantage by being able to offer Activision's irreplaceable content because Activision has not made it available in any multi-game subscription service. While that might change in the future as multi-subscription services grow, it would change based on competition on the merits rather than an anti-competitive acquisition, and it would change on an equal basis with Activision's content being available on parity on all multi-game subscription services, consistent with its current multi-platform approach for buy-to-play content. That doesn't tend to be how these parties are operating within their game subscription services, right? Both Sony and Microsoft appear to have as part of their contracts that you won't appear at the same time on each. At least I don't think I've seen a major game appear on the same time as each, although I have to be honest with you all, I have not dived deep into the PlayStation Plus extra tier and what appears on it. Would Activision put it on both services? Maybe. I tend to think Activision wouldn't put it on any service if Call of Duty is the continued driver and irreplaceable content that Sony has argued that it is. The transaction would also prevent Activision from developing a console agnostic multi-game subscription service as certain other developers have done, thereby removing a potential competitive constraint on Game Pass. Oh yes, Activision Blizzard was going to just put up a game subscription service. Mm -hmm. I mean, as long as we're guessing as to the future, maybe they would have built a hologram that you could talk and speak in Call of Duty and everybody would have fun. And now they're not going to because Microsoft is purchasing them. You have to stop that harm, CMA. If there was any doubt as to Microsoft's intentions, Microsoft has made it clear that it plans to differentiate Game Pass from rival multi-game subscription services by not making Activision games available in the same manner or at the same time on other subscription services. There is no question that Microsoft is planning to put it on Game Pass and not the other services. Giving Game Pass exclusive access to Call of Duty and other Activision games would tilt demand for multi-game subscription services irreparably in Microsoft's favor. For this reason alone, the transaction should be challenged, only if it's a separate market, and you failed. Third, Microsoft argues that demand for multi-game subscription services would not tip towards Game Pass because Microsoft would also make Game Pass available on PlayStation. But the wider availability of the leading provider, now endowed with exclusive irreplaceable content and protected by direct and indirect network effects, would make it harder, not easier, for rival multi-game subscription services to compete. Microsoft's stance that Game Pass availability on PlayStation would be a panacea for the harm from this transaction rings particularly hollow, given that Microsoft does not permit PlayStation Plus to be available on Xbox. Again, you guys just put your thing together. So I don't know what those negotiations look like behind the scenes. But I will say this. I, I called this out when Microsoft made it. Microsoft saying, well, you could have Game Pass doesn't solve the problem. If Game Pass is a separate market, if subscription services are a separate market, 
you can host our market leading thing to get this on your system doesn't solve that problem for this specific question. It might solve the problem for things like consoles, which I don't think are an actual problem and the CMA should probably drop, but it doesn't solve that there's a monopoly in subscription services if it's a separate market. It just enhances that monopoly. In fact, and PlayStation shouldn't be required to give money and availability and resources to its main rival in order to not bring some kind of antitrust complaint like this one. So I don't think Microsoft is fair in that offer. I understand why they made it. Sony has the right of this. Uh, here that offering Game Pass to PlayStation doesn't solve this particular antitrust issue. And yet it all, all depends on whether subscription services are a separate market. And I think there is a strong reason to believe that they are not. Theory of harm number three, foreclosure of cloud gaming service providers through leveraging Microsoft's ecosystem. I think this is their worst argument. First, I saw some Hogue laws here. So let's see if I can go grab those. Hogue laws. So Sony thinks ABK would be for sure to put AAA games on a subservice when Sony isn't willing to do it themselves. Nailed it. Nail it. It's an absolutely specious argument as evidenced by their actions, not their words. Don't do this, Sony. Don't do this, Sony. Uh, Hogue Law, Deathloop appeared on both subscriptions same day. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, no, and that's that. That's news to me. Uh, so in general, I think they're locking off these subscriptions. I wonder... So here's the thing, right? I wonder what that contract between... Uh, what is Deathloop? Deathloop is Arcane. Uh, Arcane and Sony looked like because Sony had a year-long exclusive, as Sony's like likes to do, and what it had vis-a-vis -vis subscription service support. Or if Microsoft is playing games to try to make it look like this isn't an issue, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Um, I think I grabbed the the folks that said at Hoglaw here, but maybe not all of them. All right, theory of harm number three. We got to finish this up. We got to wrap it up. Theory of harm number three, foreclosure of cloud gaming. This is their weakest argument, in my opinion. Under theory of harm three, the decision found that Microsoft would leverage its broad multi-product ecosystem, including its leading cloud platform, Azure, its leading game system, Xbox, and its dominant PCOS Windows, together with Activision's gaming content, to strengthen network effects, raise barriers to entry, and hence foreclose rivals in cloud gaming services. It didn't. It found that it could. The decision further found that Microsoft would have the ability and incentive to engage in a variety of foreclosure strategies, including withholding Activision's content, denying or degrading rival cloud gaming pro providers access to Azure, and denying or degrading rivals access to Windows. So they're going to buy Call of Duty and Activision content, and that's going to lead to them denying access to Azure. There's really no indications as to how those go together, but that's a separate market entirely. Uh, and I'm just not sure Sony is qualified to talk on this. We'll see what they say. Microsoft has a structural advantage in cloud computing services because of its deep and broad ecosystem advantages. Advantages over Sony, yes. Not necessarily in the cloud services infrastructure market. Microsoft's success with Azure and Windows, the dominant PC operating system on which the vast majority of PC games are played, will give it opportunities to undercut Sony on cloud streaming for console and PC. Microsoft has already publicly trumpeted its advantages in cloud gaming. As Phil Spencer remarked, when you talk about Nintendo and Sony, we have a ton of respect for them, but we see Amazon and Google as the main competitors going forward. That's not to disrespect Nintendo and Sony, but the traditional gaming companies are somewhat out of position. Since then, Google has announced that it is closing its cloud gaming service, Stadia, including because of its absence of critical content. Amazon, for its part, has struggled to gain traction in cloud gaming. Whoa, 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 whoa. They're talking about infrastructure. They're, they're, when you talk about Nintendo and Sony, and we have a ton of respect for them, but we see Amazon and Google as the main competitors in the cloud gaming infrastructure. Certainly, Amazon Web Services and Google's own infrastructure are more significant than Nintendo's and Sony's. The effects of a Microsoft foreclosure strategy in cloud gaming would harm consumers and game publishers. Cloud gaming is at an early stage of its development and strengthening network effects and raising barriers to entry could affect all current and potential rivals. Again, how are we talking about purchasing Activision content here? 
This would deny customers the benefit of competition between cloud gaming platforms, or at the very least, a longer period of competition between platforms vying to be the winning platform in these markets. For game publishers, the CMA explained that if Microsoft were to become a gatekeeper between publishers and gamers, that would ultimately give Microsoft the ability to control access to gamers, charge higher fees for game distribution, and manipulate game rankings. Okay. Sony agrees with this thorough analysis in the decision and the framework for assessment set out in the issue statement. If consummated, the transaction would give Microsoft a unique position in the industry as the only company with sole control over such a large library of popular games and the levers to determine how competition plays out in this nascent space thanks to its Windows OS and Azure platform. As Sony's contemporaneous documents explain, again, as we said ourselves in our own memos, likewise, Phil Spencer has publicly explained that content community and cloud are the future of gaming. Post-transaction, Microsoft would have unique strength in all these three elements. In response to the decision's analysis, Microsoft raises four main points. None is sound. Not even none is persuasive. First, Microsoft argues tautologically that the CMA's theory of harm is novel and without precedent. I'm not sure why that's tautological, but okay. There is nothing novel about a leveraging theory of harm whereby a digital platform uses existing advantages in one area to harm competition in a nascent space. Microsoft's claims of novelty are particularly misplaced given that Microsoft is presently under investigation for leveraging practices involving Azure and Windows, and Microsoft's president, Brad Smith, has recognized the legitimacy of certain of these concerns and pledged to address them. In the same vein, Microsoft documents unearthed by the CMA identify an anti-competitive strategy to leverage Activision's content to advantage Microsoft in cloud gaming. Again, the main functional issue here with the cloud argument is that this particular business doesn't exist and that cloud gaming isn't a separate market in and of itself for the delivery of video game content to you. Uh, and so they've got this same market problem that they have with Game Pass. But furthermore, you have this same issue, which is if you buy content and you put it on your service, is it absolutely killing the market that you are the only purveyor of this thing? And you have to be able to say with a straight face that another competitor can't exist without Activision content. And I just don't believe that in any respect, but I certainly don't believe it with respect to cloud. And I don't believe it with respect to Game Pass, primarily because Game Pass isn't its separate market, much like cloud isn't. Second, Microsoft argues that consumer adoption of cloud gaming remains low. That is beside the point, really. It might not be a market at all. <laughs> Nascent competition is just as worthy of protection as competition among services that already enjoy substantial usage. As Microsoft well knows, however, Nascent markets are ones that regulators don't want to put their thumb on the scale on because they are nascent. Nobody has market power. Nobody has established themselves as a market force. They're not, might not even be a market. There are plenty of things that everybody thought was going to be the next big idea that never came to fruition in a marketplace. And so regulators should be especially cautious about dealing in nascent markets. Indeed, the CMA has announced it is opening a market investigation into cloud gaming services precisely because cloud gaming is a developing innovation and competition in this space while nascent should be protected. Yes, the CMA did announce a very recent move into looking at these things. Third, Microsoft argues that in the counterfactual, Activision content would not be available on cloud gaming services. This is misconceived. As with multi-game subscription services, Activision content in the counterfactual might become available to cloud gaming services in the future in unequal terms, although it almost certainly wouldn't. Under the transaction, however, Microsoft will have the ability and incentive to keep that content exclusively to itself. Fourth, Microsoft argues that it does not have a market-leading position in gaming to protect but this theory of harm is about Microsoft using its leading position in PC OSs, cloud platform services, and gaming content to foreclose competition in cloud gaming. There is no requirement in such a leveraging theory for there to be market power in the foreclosed product, as Microsoft well knows. Microsoft has publicly explained the link between content community and cloud. Microsoft already has the community and the cloud. Yes, LinkedIn. Xbox, Windows, and LinkedIn 
and the cloud via Azure and through the transaction would add Activision's vast content to its existing proprietary games, giving it everything it would need to tip demand in its favor and foreclose actual potential rivals. This kind of forecloses itself as an argument, the fact that Azure is not the leading server provider in the world, that you're using LinkedIn in your argument to suggest that it has community that can otherwise be matched, and that you can compete on cloud through things other than Activision products. Again, we're not talking about whether Microsoft sits there on the mountaintop putting together electronics and technology in a way that might dominate certain of these markets. We're talking about whether Activision, Activision puts it over the top in one of these ways. And it doesn't appear like CMA or the EU from what we have seen, or certainly Sony here, which just mirrors and puffs its chest out at what the CMA has already said, makes any stronger statement. So cloud to me is a loser. Console is a loser. Game Pass is a potential winner, but you're going to really have to make an effort to establish it as a separate market. And I have difficulty seeing that as winning. Paragraph 50, and then we'll get to more of the super chats that I saw come in and the at whole gloss. We'll do some questions. We'll follow it up. We'll try to end this under three hours. We're at 2.40 right now. The transaction threatens the gaming ecosystem at a critical moment. The gaming ecosystem. It would take an irreplaceable gaming franchise, Call of Duty, out of independent hands and combine it with Microsoft's highly successful gaming system, leading multi-game subscription service, dominant PC OS, as if that matters to this conversation, and leading cloud platform. The only way, the only way to preserve robust competition and protect consumers and independent developers is to ensure that Activision remains independently owned and controlled. Concessions won't save us, Mr. Regulator. You can't promise us Call of Duty by contract. Contracts are wind. You can't promise us protections on Game Pass or cloud services. Microsoft is too strong. We will be defeated. The only way to save gaming is to make sure Activision is independently owned and controlled. There's no other way. Sony goes for broke. Sony goes for broke. Not Sony goes broke, although that's what they have to tell the CMA will happen. Sony goes for broke. And honestly, I thought I hated their arguments before. I hate them even more now. Saying we need Call of Duty, kind of stupid, but I can at least understand it. Seeing we need some contours around Game Pass, again, kind of stupid, but I can understand it. This deal must be stopped or gaming is dead is flatly absurd. And Sony, I expected better from you. I'm a longtime fan of your PlayStation products. And honestly, this is embarrassing for you. Not for me, embarrassing for you. So we got through 17 pages, only took us three hours. Can you imagine what it would have taken me to get through the Microsoft deal? I know we have some more super chats. I will get those super chats right now. I really appreciate that and the support of the channel. I will try to get to questions, flag them with super chats or at Hoglaw or question. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about what you think. We went through the whole document. You can see why I decided to make the video. I saw that last line and I said, well, all right, Sony. You asked for it. We're going to do three hours. I'm going to get comments in here that talk to me like I'm a, a Phil Spencer employee, and I don't care. I would say the exact same thing if Microsoft came to, to the table with this kind of argument against you, Sony. And so here we are. Deco Gamer says, how much of this document is projection? I don't think it's projection. I think it's what they think the CMA will listen to, and I don't know if they're wrong. Uh, but I don't think it's very useful for antitrust and regulatory authorities. So uh, I don't know that it's projection. It's a strategy, but I think it's a dumb one. Kendrick Starr, didn't PlayStation Now come out before Game Pass? PlayStation Now did. Um, and I guess PlayStation Now is a kind of subscription service. It was only ever, I think, maybe I was wrong on this. I think they did add downloads. It was at first streaming only, cloud, cloud services. Um, and uh, it didn't work. Again, there's no indication that cloud gaming as a separate market at all can survive. Stadia goes under, shows that. 
Game pa- uh, Guy Kai being bought by PlayStation and then immediately kind of scuttled on the PlayStation Now side shows that. They can't sell PlayStation Now separately, so they have to tie it together with things people want, which is downloads. So there's a lot of indications in the gaming industry and a lot of experts that could speak on this that would say there is no indication that cloud gaming is going to take off and that Microsoft is investing this infrastructure to see if it does uh, and that they shouldn't be penalized for that. Game Pass was, again, another leap. We do not want to squash innovation in any marketplace, if you're looking at things from a regulatory body side of things, Brazil properly said, hey, look, Microsoft took a leadership position in Game Pass because they went out there and innovated and tried something different. Phil Spencer has rightly, and I think a little bit humbly, which is not usually what I say about CEOs, but we'll give him credit for this, gone out there and said, we were losing. We were losing. Wall garden to wall garden, we were not as good as Sony. So we had to do something different, and that was Game Pass. Uh, and Game Pass has worked out. There were other things they tried to do to differentiate that didn't. Connect didn't work. Connect didn't work. Uh, and you could have said that they dominated the connect industry or the the motion capture in your living room industry. Uh, and that would not have been a strong argument because that industry and that market didn't really exist. And so you talk about Game Pass. They, we want people to innovate and we want them to get advantages from that innovation. We want them to get paid for that. We don't want them to get squashed by the market leader in the gaming industry on this stuff. So yes, PlayStation Now came out first. They bought Gaikai in an acquisition to get involved in that market. And now they want to prevent other people from getting involved in other markets because, frankly, they can't compete with that money. They don't have that cash on hand. All right. Christy asks another important question. All right. Video gaming is going to cease to exist. Sorry about that. Who wants to play board games with me? Always in for a board game. Love board games. Love gaming of all kind. Cobra6660 says, hey, gaming is dead, I guess. If Microsoft's allowed to purchase Activision, it's all over. Someone turn the lights out on your way out. Cannot survive. Cannot survive. If Microsoft owns Call of Duty of all things. All right. Kaylin says, oh, okay. So this is just an argument Sony put out, not a decision. I was so confused. I'm sorry. If you go back to the front end, this is just Sony arguing for the CMA's initial findings in phase one, just being so, so right. You're so smart, CMA. How did you get to be so smart? So smart. Really good of you to adopt our arguments. So smart. B says, sending some happy holiday thoughts over to you. Hoglaw might help cheer you up after this literature hug emoji and a laughing with your eyes closed emoji. I don't mind this. I don't mind this. I I wish it weren't as ridiculous because I think those of you that are in virtual legality a lot know that what I like to do is I like to present an even-handed, both sides look at these various arguments. Um, and this is patently absurd. And like I said, I'm embarrassed for Sony. I, I really am. Uh, and I, I don't blame Cleary Gottlieb. I think Sony is driving this bus and it's what they want to do. And I think it's embarrassing that they're going and trying to use the cudgel of government regulation to uh, forestall competition, right? That's the main irony of all this is that what you've got is them arguing that Microsoft spending its money in an arm's length transaction, making investors in Activision money that they've earned by investing in that company, that that's all illegal because that kills competition, but they're doing it with the power of government that really can't be fought if they make a decision against you uh, going through a couple of steps. Uh, and so they themselves are trying to forestall the growth of a competitor in their own market. And that is deeply ironic to me. It's also deeply troubling because I want Sony to compete. I think Sony's at its best when it's competing. I think this generation is bad for Sony because they are either resting on their laurels or they're being directed and run poorly. Um, I think Microsoft has been the more exciting company since they decided to try a different approach. And even though they didn't release basically anything this year, which I think is not great, I think it is great to have dynamism in an industry and having people trying to find ways to succeed. And I think Microsoft has certainly done that. And I think Sony has not. Uh, And so I want to see that competition. I want to see it. 
Fred Mellon says, are you still 60-40 on the acquisition going through? At 65-35 was my last. And yes, I don't think this moves the needle. I, I don't think this moves the needle for me. This is uh, what Sony was expected to say. They did advance the ball in a couple of places that I wouldn't have. And I didn't expect Sony to just say, no, nothing's good enough for us. Um, but I tend to think that anybody reasonable, rational, looking at the situation sees that kind of argument as the kind of petty tyranny that it is, uh, right? That, okay, you started by asking for Call of Duty. You started by asking for, you know, availability. Microsoft offered it to you. You're now not happy with that offer. Not only are you not happy with that offer, you want it on PlayStation Plus. You want all these extra things. And now not only are you not really happy with those, you want us to kill the deal because the gaming ecosystem is at risk if fundamentally you lose market share. And that's obscene. That is an obscene use of the regulatory regime and process, which I do think is necessary in a couple of important places, but it gives all the ammunition you would ever want to somebody that just says all these regulators are crap, that all of this happening is crap and that we don't need any of this because it's all just angels on the head of a pin in somebody's head making prognostications and you know going with whatever competition, uh, whatever competitor within an industry yells at them the most or has the most closed door meetings or whatever you want to put. And I'm, I, I, don't, I don't want that to be the case. So my deep hope, not for Microsoft, not for Activision, uh, is that these regulators look at things on a neutral basis, evaluate them. And I don't think that there's a reasonable antitrust argument here. Uh, and so I already think uh, I'm giving a concession by saying that these authorities are almost certainly going to find a substantial lessening of competition because that's the only thing that they can do in order to get to a concession document. So that's already going to be a bit specious on its face, but we're going to get a consent decree. We're going to get an undertakings document. My sincerest hope is that the regulators don't push too far on that um, and allow what would have been a very clean deal about five or 10 years ago uh, to go through because I just think that's the right call for what's happening in these marketplaces. Do I have to love it? No, I'm not sure Microsoft or Xbox is going to be a great steward of Activision. I'm not sure they're a great steward of any of the companies. I'd like to think that they will be. In fact, I'm kind of dedicated to the fact because I don't want to see all those IPs or franchises or developers or games die, but I'm not sure. But I'm also not in the business of telling you what's going to happen in the future here. Igor Bastos says, how long do you think this deal will take to close? Nice work. This is from Brazil. Well, the Brazilians helped it out. <laughs> Go forward. I, I think we're looking at April. I think we're looking at April or May. And I would have said earlier, I had said I thought it would be towards the end of the first quarter. I said that a lot in the last year. I think it's pushed a little bit. I think the European Union asked for a few more days, I think like 11 or 12 day extension. So I think that's going to wind up in April uh, and you'll get a very rapid kind of sign off or consent decree or things like that in that period. It could stretch into the, the May, June area, but I think you're looking at that April, May, June uh, of next year. And I do think it'll go through. I do think it'll go through with concessions. I still have that at 65. I, I would love to tell you it's 90 because I think that's probably what it deserves for what's actually happening here. Uh, but I have it at 65 right now based on what we can see is the environment, right? Is the environment. All right. Uh, Hoglaw, won't it affect COD sales if it's on PS Plus? Mm -hmm. It would. Can you imagine the negotiations for the rates and things that would have to be paid off for that? Yeah, it would affect sales, but you'd still hope for the platform to get paid. I don't know what that looks like, honestly. Hoglaw does board games. You would not have any idea. I could make furniture out of my board games. Co-counsel, Mrs. Hoglaw wants fewer board games purchased. I can't help myself. can't help myself. Could you do a community night? Uh, like showing board games? I don't really have a camera set up for that. Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? We play a lot of board games. Hoglaw, why would Sony want Call of Duty on PlayStation Plus? According to them, it being on a subservice would cost them so much money it would die. 
yeah, it's so they don't want it to differentiate, right? So Sony's trying to kind of thinly slice the onion. They want it to be the same across the platforms and they want themselves to be able to succeed on that. So they're kind of okay with it being on both, uh, in both places, but they also haven't fully thought this through. They're kind of swinging at the fences. They want it killed completely. If you're not going to kill it, they want to make sure it's on PlayStation Plus. Xbox isn't going to uniformly offer that. And honestly, if Microsoft is asked to give that, I'm not sure that they do. And I'm not sure that they don't sue on the request. We're getting into the real the real meat of the situation, folks, certainly. Uh, so it's a lot. It's a lot to cover, a lot to consider. I think that's about the last at uh, Hogloff. I missed one earlier. Send it again. The absolute irony is that Skyrim is on PlayStation Plus Extra right now. Haha. Yeah. I, as I've said, Sony likes to characterize this because they don't like Starfield being exclusive or they don't like Elder Scrolls 6 or whatever. But Microsoft has kind of case by case this. And certainly the things that already existed on the platform didn't get pulled, which is the exact quote they used from Phil Spencer. I'm not going to pull stuff, which makes sense, but it doesn't mandate that you're going to get the next thing. So they're trying to catch Microsoft in lies. And I don't think Microsoft's messaging was terribly clear at a bunch of different points in the Zenimax transaction, which is some of what Sony calls them on. But in this transaction, I think they have been clearer. Uh, so they tried. I really wasn't terribly compelled by those, even though I do think Microsoft could be doing a better job as well. Everybody could. I mean, we're all human beings, right? Uh, Hawkeye, I honestly can't see Microsoft being any worse a steward of Activision than Activision has already been. Sure. I think that's a reasonable argument. At worst, it's a different devil in charge. <laughs> Uh, uh, what else do we have here? Uh, concessions are fine if all it includes is commuting Call of Duty to PlayStation consoles. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's the most likely. That certainly was the most likely. I, I mean, I, if one of these regulators gets kind of out of step with the other regulators, I think you are looking at potential lawsuits. Didn't Sony say multi-game subscription services are not a separate market in the Brazilian investigation? Yes, I read that they did that. I'm going to have to go check on that again because I wasn't really expecting them to do this in this uh, document. Uh, but yes, in their earlier response, they're asked about whether they're separate markets. And I believe they say no pretty pretty uniformly, but I wanna check on that. So I will I will pull that back up if I can go find it. Or I think they might've pulled it down. Um, so I'll, I'll try to go make sure on that. Uh, who, Denis, what are your thoughts that PlayStation Now was retooled to better compete this year simply as Sony had better legal ground to say they can't compete with Game Pass if the deal goes through? I guess it doesn't hurt them. To say, oh, our tiny Game Pass service. Uh, but yeah, again, it's, it's you hope that the regulators are going to do their homework on this. Okay, this has only existed for two months. The price proposition is a lot higher and is worse, in my opinion, than Game Pass. They offer worse games. They don't offer their AAA games. There's nothing day and date. It's kind of an assortment at the blockbuster bin in that particular service. So they're not comparable in that way. Um, and I, I would hope that you would do that analysis because Sony is blowing smoke at you on this stuff. And we saw it in a number of places. They don't take into account Call of Duty players that already have an Xbox. They don't take into account that the money that people make that play Call of Duty isn't derived from Call of Duty necessarily. It could be, but it's not that kind of strict logic. You have all of these kinds of things that don't make much sense. And the fact of the matter remains, number one, Sony is not gifted by God in, in heaven this market share. They can be competed against. And this looks for all the world like competition. So, yeah. East-West, Hoglaw, what repercussions could arise if a party statement are found to be false or lying? 
Uh, well, I mean, if it's straight up false, you've got a problem. Sony is doing logical fallacies, right? Sony is gilding the lily or blowing smoke. I didn't see anything there that rises to the level of lies, except maybe that like things like exclusives are flat out anti-competition, which is a statement of law, which you don't hold parties to. Uh, so generally speaking, Clary Gottlieb, uh, I think I think Sony's using uh, or, or Microsoft's using like wild gotchel, I think. Um, but I, uh, I I look at these as more like smart lawyers getting up to the line. This is why a lot of people hate lawyers. This is why a lot of people pronounce lawyers as liars, right? Which is not strictly a lie, but taking advantage of maybe another person's ignorance on these particular topics. Um, how long do you think a potential lawsuit would go on? Oh my God, if there's a suit? <laughs> well, virtual legality would have a lot of content for a long time. Uh, it would be a while. It would be a while. Especially, I mean, like if there's a suit, that means like Microsoft and the FTC are fighting. Um, and if you're not going to settle that, long time, long time, long time. <laughs> Aaron Hogla, is Sony buying time or got a plan or something? Like I'm confused. They keep bringing up weak points, but ultimately the deal is going to go through. Well, Aaron, I would say that Sony in-house, Sony internal now believes there's a non-zero, a material chance that they can block the deal. I think the change in tone here is we think we can go for it and we're going to. Um, and so you you don't finish with a line like we see at the end here. The only way, the only way is to, is to ensure Activision remains independently owned. Only way. Without believing that you've got a crack at that. So Sony's pushing the button as hard as it possibly can. Now, I think Sony's got a loser here. In fact, I think Sony is um, is more of a loser for trying on this. I don't necessarily look down on them for it if they think they've got a chance. On the other hand, I do. <laughs> <laughs> because I do think you got to play fair at some level or it's going to come back around on you, either karmically or otherwise. Um, and so I think they think they've got a shot at blocking the whole thing and they're giving it a run. Gamer by Choice asks, so if Sony pushes to get Call of Duty in PlayStation Plus, then wouldn't that muddy waters where they don't have their own games in PlayStation Plus? Great show. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's an absolute silver bullet to their argument, right? Activision games would definitely be on these subscription services. What? Your own internal economic analysis suggests that if a game gets expensive enough, it doesn't go on the subscription service. Like that's your analysis. Microsoft believes differently, but as far as competitors are concerned, as far as regulators of competition are concerned, that's only a good thing. That's a different approach. We want more different approaches that helps consumers. So if Microsoft wants to put it on that game pass, okay, maybe they're wrong. Maybe they would have made more another way. Maybe they should have sold it themselves. It's not up to you, Sony. You didn't buy them. Um, but there's no guarantee that Bobby Kotick would have put Call of Duty on subscription services. I'm not even sure that they could get enough people on the subscription service to justify how they would sell it uh, in its full form. Again, the bigger it is, the more costly it is to exclude, the more costly it is to put on a subscription service. So everything that the CMA and Sony say in the middle of this document is just flatly wrong <laughs> economically. So... That doesn't work for that particular argument. But yes, it certainly muttered the waters. Thank you so much for the compliment and the super chat. I really appreciate the support. Can't do all this stuff. Can't spend three hours with y'all without support from viewers and listeners like you. So I really thank you for it. Um, and like I said, we still have a thousand people here for this last kind of couple of minutes of question and answers. Leave a like if you got one. Uh, leave a comment if you feel like it. Uh, we got a lot of other comments here. I'm going to do like three more questions, I think. And then we're going to go for the day. Hoglaw, can Microsoft use Sony's deals with third-party exclusivity against them, even though those are just business deals? Isn't that technically all fair? Microsoft has tried. 
Microsoft has said, hey, look, this is how Sony got popular. In fact, the Brazilian Cade Regulatory Authority said the same. This is how Sony worked. We've accepted this in this industry. Uh, and buying is just a different version of getting an exclusive. Uh, and so uh, I, I think Microsoft can use that. I, it's not their strongest argument. Their strongest arguments are not separate markets. This doesn't give us market control. There's no risk of the you know, entire industry blowing up uh, because of this. So, so don't, don't do this. We don't have the power necessary from this purchase to get that done. Next question. Do you see any chance of Microsoft accepting any concessions affecting Call of Duty on Game Pass? I think that's where they draw the line firmly. Yeah, I think Game Pass is where Microsoft would have a much bigger problem. Um, that Microsoft has said they're perfectly happy to sell Call of Duty on PlayStation. I kind of believe that from them, even without a contract that's accepted from Sony. I don't believe that they will accept the stuff for PlayStation Plus. Again, PlayStation Plus doesn't exist when they buy Activision, when they sign the dotted line, right? So that's kind of ridiculous to hold them to when Sony wasn't in, in the market, such as it is separately at all. So they just join, say, hey, we suck at this and nobody likes our PlayStation Plus service. You have to protect us. It doesn't ring true to me. Uh, so I think Microsoft would hold fast to the Game Pass separation. Uh, and honestly, if they got pressed on that point, I think that's when you start to see either the deal fail, which will cost them Activision money, um, or that Microsoft goes to the mattresses and starts all out war on the regulators, which would be awesome for me. Not so awesome for Microsoft or Activision, which would be stuck in limbo for even longer, or even Sony, uh, which continues to look. I, I had a lot of goodwill towards Sony. Sony continues to kind of lose that goodwill for me, even though I continue to play my PlayStation. I'm going to play more God of War today. Hogue, how can Sony argue that gamers will be locked in because of Call of Duty, but then go on to say people will swap consoles and leave behind their digital library? What, wouldn't losing titles lock in? They mean lock in in the economic sense. Uh, it's better to think of it as stickiness. Uh, right, that there's a stickiness to Call of Duty that they will lose people on the one hand because it's sticky, it's a magnet, and then they're sticky there. They they won't want to leave because they that particular system has their favorite game franchise. But it's not really distinct from any game console or any publisher making a game franchise. This is just distinct because it's multi-platform now, and it wouldn't be in the future potentially. Even though Xbox is saying for all the world that they would still sell Call of Duty on Sony. Sony now thinks that's true, I would be willing to offer, insofar as Xbox has, at least as they told the New York Times, offered them a 10-year deal. So Sony's thinking, yeah, they probably are willing to sell Call of Duty forever on Sony. What they realize is that that's a big problem for their subscription service, which they weren't really invested in or thought would be anything, um, and didn't think that subscription services were the answer as early as two years ago. But now that they do, they've got a problem, and they've decided to use government regulatory bodies to try to fight it. And I don't think that's a great look. I just don't. Uh, okay, so I promise just a few more questions. Want to make sure I don't miss anything big. We do have some super chats. Thank you so much for all the support, folks, on this. Highs and Lone Wolf, the hypocrisy makes it hard for me to own a PS5. I will admit, when I go to turn it on, I sometimes think about this company is not acting in a way that I would like to support. I, I will I will admit that. Uh, Miasma, enjoy your turkey day. I will. I did not expect to spend three hours with you all today, uh, but I'm glad I did. I'm glad we got to go through this document. Tell your friends about this conversation. Uh, you know, highlighted in forums, all of that really does help the channel and helps get these kinds of topics and talks out. Uh, Wolverine, go blue Saturday, got here late. What's up with the FTC? FTC is not involved in this story, Wolverine. I appreciate it. Uh, but this is a response from Sony to the CMA. That's the UK regulatory authority. Uh, and we went over every line of it. Midnight Dreary, happy Thanksgiving, Hope family. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Midnight Dreary. I still love that profile post, especially with your profile name. And that's going to do it for us, folks. So that was an unexpected virtual legality live. Like I said, 
leave those likes, hit those buttons, tell people we're having these conversations. Let me know in the comments what arguments you find the most effective, what you find the weakest, how you're feeling about the deal overall. I love to have those conversations. I try to get into as many comments as possible. But everyone else, especially in the United States, enjoy your Thanksgiving. If you're not here, enjoy any holidays you have. And if you don't, I will see you after the holiday period, I think, unless I get 600 Twitter notifications and something big has happened elsewhere in video gaming. Have a great one, everybody. And thanks for joining me for this very short Virtual Legality episode. See ya. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.